We are back. I got my perfect dark t-shirt on for this recording. Uh, skipping the preamble today so we can dive right in. I'm Randall Petrus. Next to me are my secret uh, agent compadres, comrades, allies. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Technically, in terms of, comrades in terms of life the... and also this podcast, I'm kind of the cue of <laughs> yeah. the whole thing. Right. So. Is that it? Does that make me money, Penny? No, you're... <laughs> am I M? You know what? Yeah, you're, you are Judy Dench. <laughs> I've always said that. I've always said that. You know what? You know what? I'm a I'm a I'm a Felix Leiter. Okay, mm. not always there, but always welcome. Oh no no, you're a Bill Tanner actually. Bill, oh, you yeah, know what? Yeah. I actually, you know what? I I yeah, I'm a, I'll take that. I'm a Bill Tanner guy. I'll be a Robinson. One of like I don't the know most. What any of these <laughs> Bill Tanner is just like it's like he, I don't even think they say his name. He's like the tech analyst. Uh, he's, yeah, he's like, like he's like the secretary. He's like the, yeah, the, yeah. he's like the 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 assistant dude. That he's like he's just around MI six sometimes. I'm yeah. like the American Q. Yeah, the engineer. Yeah. Uh, the American Q was the R, wasn't it? <laughs> no, that was John Cleese. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad they didn't. I'm thinking of the that. new. No, he was John Cleese. It was like all I can think of is uh, Chloe from 24. If anybody watched 24, <laughs> I played the video game. No, She's I, in that as well. Speaking of, uh, so that is Austin <laughs> Blakesley and Matt Nudaboom. Uh, this is Hot Button. We are in Act Two of our GoldenEye 007 saga. Here to tell you all about the story of how one of gaming's beloved classics came to be from the early days of Rare to the fumbled re-releases. Where we last left off, development was hard in progress. Uh, I believe they just completed the performance capture shoots, beating the shit out of poor Duncan. Yeah. (laughs) That's where we ended? That's a good note to end on. Yeah, yeah. I like that ending. (laughs) So with that, uh, let's step back a little and sort of analyze where... uh, FPSs were as a genre in 95, 96, 97, and their relationship with the distributor. Uh, Nintendo's only comparable dip into the concept really was back in the 70s with their laser clay gun cabinets and arcades. Doesn't Smash Trophy have uh, one of the <laughs> wild gun? I'm sure it does. <laughs> um, since then, you had Battlezone to, uh, of course, the works of id Software, Wolfenstein Doom, and uh, the then-in-production Quake. Um, the term first-person shooter had yet to be coined, while Doom, often called the forefather of the label, was reigning supreme throughout the gamosphere. Goldeneye was wearing its influences on its sleeves there, borrowing ideas like having specific ammo for its arsenal of weapons, body armor, explosive barrels, mission stats, um, but this was still a separate beast. There wasn't much in those titles in way of narrative, plus their presentation of 3D was sprite-based. Uh, the illusion of depth was novel, but by... Here, we had the N64's, quote, reality co-processor at their disposal. This aside, Super FX chip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, FPSs were uh, also attached at the hip to the personal computer. Uh, sure, ports of uh, id's releases did make their journey to home platforms, though this, this was being formulated from the ground up. Um, they had a buttload of convincing to do to turn heads. John Romero, on many occasions in Elisa's interview, reiterates GoldenEye's importance to even where the future of PC games would go. Um, it was smart to keep the levels bite-sized as to not overwhelm less savvy players, a notion that behooves replayability. You reminded me, when you were talking about the reality co-processor, yeah. I miss when chips had stupid names. Because <laughs> right? like now, <laughs> what chip is in the PlayStation 5? It's just an AMD RDNA 3 APU. And I was looking at videos of the PS3 being taken apart because I have to re the cell. I have to, yeah power the cell. Well, yes, the cell. But do you remember what the GPU on the PS3 was called? Because it wasn't just a GPU. No, 
Uh, it was called the RSX chip, which stands for Reality Synthesizer Extreme. Yeah. Wait, what console was this? PS3. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wow. That, I mean, every, everything surrounding the PS3 was fucking. That's actually bananas, what I was about so. to say. I thought I was like, I thought I was like, wait, the PlayStation One? Yeah, I thought Reality Simulation <laughs> Extreme on that. But yeah, also it's like everything about that was just like <laughs> the cell processor, this RSX. Yeah, thing. and then like, they switched to X eighty four or no X sixty four. Yeah, X- and everything X- became boring, just as Intel intended. <laughs> yeah, they also switched away from that battering controllers. Now we don't get anything funky in that department. Were those redesigned yeah. before the release? Is there yes. a prototype? Okay, I yeah, was like, the is prototypes a- are probably out there. There's got to be prototypes. Yeah, I mean, we all made. And fun they of made it. the worst controller. The six axis blows. One of the worst controllers that anybody has ever made. Yeah. Speaking of which. Back to the Nintendo 64. <laughs> so elsewhere, Nintendo started to broadcast their uh, promotional <laughs> I just campaigns. got that joke. <laughs> <laughs> their uh, promotional campaigns for it. Uh, leaning hard into the UR Bond angle, all while harnessing the power of the N64. This motif then led to the rare dev spending many lunch breaks re-watching the film in short bursts for further inspiration. Uh, it helps that they've been fans since their youth, uh, appreciating the franchise... Uh, like the it's rye brand of campy humor. Uh, they soon modified the uh, opening clips of each mission so that the camera would pan around and zoom into uh, the back of a 007's like rectangular dome. Yep. <laughs> to emphasize like you are role playing Bond. Yeah, here. it's yeah. cool. It, it, even a multiplayer does it. Yep. The signature red ooze pouring down when you're killed was yep. uh, implemented. Uh, they always wanted the HUD clear of distractions, although it was Doke who suggested adding the crosshair aimer on screen for uh, p- precision control. Um, stealth was also new for the genre, with uh, silenced firearms and the judo slap chopping to take out enemies that, undetected. <laughs> was that the first first shooter with a crosshair? No, right? Oh. Because Doom didn't have one. Quake, no. Quake did. Quake that was technically came out so. first. So, yeah. yeah. Doom, Doom and Wolfenstein didn't. No, you're right. I'm trying to think. Rise of the Triad didn't. No. That was just a Wolfenstein mod that got renamed. None of them had uh, uh, silencers. Shadow Warrior didn't. <laughs> Shadow Warrior. Duke Nukem didn't. <laughs> no, Duke Nukem did not. Uh, the features then kept coming. Uh, the ability to shoot through glass, break lights, uh, the elimination of alarms and cameras. On the creative side of things, a strain to maintain atmosphere was heavily prioritized. Effects like smoke and steam were included, skyboxes, shell casings flying out. It felt real in the sense where its competitors lacked. Um, uh, Addy Smith, who was the person to thank for much of these, in fact, he, he was one of the few who had the cachet from his time spent on Donkey Kong Country 2, uh, along with his years at college where he focused on product packaging and design, attending uh, Burn, Burnmouth, Burnmouth, Burn, Burn, Burning Man. <laughs> In in their master program um, before uh, Hilton and Jones did, as as he was slightly older than the rest of the group. He also called making the jump from pen and paper to mouse and keyboard as a tough transition, though uh, scored his degree anyway, and uh, was approached by five other gaming companies until choosing Rare in 1992 to work as a graphic artist. Uh, his contributions are littered throughout GoldenEye, the doors, the vehicles, almost every weapon, uh, even the um, the uh, opening credit sequence and health displays, one that he wished he trademarked. Wow, really? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Which they did uh, bring back in Time Splitters 2 and 3. And, and 3, Is yeah. it in 1? I don't, I don't remember. I don't either. No, I think it's just a health bar at the top of the screen. Yeah. I played that with you 
not even like what a couple years ago, and I still don't. I don't. I don't remember. Transporters one is pretty unremarkable. Yeah, very, it's very proof of concept. It, yeah, that's what I was gonna it say. It feels more like a tech demo than anything. We're else. gonna get to it in the next episode, but it, it it totally is that. And 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 you'll see. Like it makes sense too, considering the 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 length of development they had. I mean, two yeah. was where it. I mean, I think I think probably what like the thing the the thing that we did not explore, and maybe I should save this earlier, but we did just the campaigns. And not uh, we didn't explore the multiplayer, which I would say is like that's like you know more half or more of like where the big content that game is. It's like the campaign in that game was like what we got through it in like two and a half hours. It's like I think the 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 campaign wasn't really emphasized until three, but the multiplayers were always beefy. That's I was gonna say it's just like we probably played the part of the game that nobody else played. I'm fairly sure people probably (laughs) won. Yeah, yeah, people played it for the multiplayer, Mm -hmm. not for not for the campaign. Well, that's what I did with Goldeneye. Yeah, but I at the time. You know, well, the, yeah, but the, the campaign in Goldeneye is is robust enough on its own. Oh, yeah. I know. I'm not yeah, saying yeah. anything. I'm not trying to compare the two. I get in what terms you're of quality. I'm just saying I bought Goldeneye to play multiplayer. Well, now I know what we're doing tomorrow when everybody comes over. Uh, so he then went on to create the shadows, the tracer fire, explosions, muzzle flashes, glass shattering, uh, bullet holes, and the blood. Um, the bulk of which would hereby assist users by presenting where the danger was, uh, same with how nearly every single object could explode. Tables? Yep. Chairs? You yep. bet. Monitors? Absolutely. Uh, quote, everything explodes in films, says Bollywood. <laughs> you know what's funny? And it's like that actually, in the movies, everything explodes, so why not would everything explode? It's like when you think about like shooting a monitor. We were discussing this of like, w- that be- was so normalized to us yeah. in that game, and you look back and you're like, that was fucking like, what? Well, look at, what do you call it? It's like in movies, if you get like a little bit of water on a computer, it just explodes yeah. for some reason. It's like, same thing, it's like if you shoot a monitor in real life, you're going to have two bullet holes in your monitor, and it's just not going to turn no, on. No, I've and seen like, Final Destination 1. They blow up. Thank you. That's what, That was the exact example <laughs> I was thinking. It's like, so like when you shot something like a TV, it's like, of course it's going to blow up, and then they just extended it to tables and chairs, and so <laughs> fuck it, why not? <laughs> so, and this aligns with the, so Hollis's definition of, of realism, quote unquote, uh, more meant interactivity, not literal realism. That's why Bond had uh, capabilities that the soldiers didn't. They'd be subjected to wackier fates. Uh, them flying away from slow-ass explosions wasn't yeah. a bug. It was a benefit. And it was hilarious. <laughs> like, hey, the delay on it. He, he explains exactly why that happens. The explosion happens and they fly away. Yeah. I just think it was just funny that it's like, yeah, it's like, we, we thought it was hilarious. Like, fuck it, leave, so it in. Fuck it, leave it in. Yeah. <laughs> Elise often uh, recites in her book about how uh, GoldenEye's comedy doesn't receive the praise it so deserves. Um, It's quirks and gags being vital to its uh, intended goals. Um, Upon boot up, (laughs) I know you were talking to me about this, Matt. The first splash screen you are shown is a straight parody of the British Board of Film Certification card. Uh, Yeah. I didn't even know until I read it in the yes, book. Yes, no, Because it shows up and you think it's like a company copyright card. And yeah. But then you, and it's on the screen for like maybe a second. Oh, yeah, the <laughs> but, thing that's is like, it has like the age yes, thing. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So the, the word British is replaced with uh, uh, Twycross, the yeah. location of Rare's headquarters. Yeah. And instead the phrase suitable only for persons 12, uh, 12 years and older is changed uh, to... What is it? It's uh, suitable only for one to four persons. Yeah. yeah, yep. yeah. A cute in-joke yeah. that few yeah. living outside the UK would understand. That's also a thing. <laughs> Let alone, you, like, children. You, you just assume it's, like, yeah, you assume it's some legal notice card, and you don't read it, and then you actually do read it, and you're like, oh. 
I was I can't believe I've been staring at that for like over two decades. And one of the signatures like, is just James Bond. It's yes, just like yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it's better than whatever the MPAA is doing. Yeah. 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 Um, further instances to avoid the tone becoming too grim was the smattering of cheat codes you can unlock. Uh, a fucking gauntlet to obtain them all. Me and you did it, buddy. I can't, yeah. <laughs> thousand, a thousand point gamer score. But this was where our team could really get playful. Same with the local multiplayer that we'll examine in a bit. Uh, though, yeah, uh, paintball, uh, DK mode, slappers only, the mines. Um, except even in the campaign, these tonal shifts could bleed through. Uh, each mission had pages of written briefings, complete with money pennies, flirtations, and cues, um, and it's, <laughs> like she, like belittling of James's uncaring use of his gadgets. <laughs> by the way, the money penny briefings, okay? It's like they are always flirtatious and yeah. apparently filled with a lot of British innuendo that I was not aware of. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like I think it's with it's on one of the missions with a helicopter, maybe frigate or like whatever. She just goes, be careful with that chopper, James. Chopper is British slang for a dick. <laughs> really? Yes. And I was like, uh, yeah, it's the same thing. It's like, and I know I've brought up this tale before, but grabbed by the ghoulies, ghoulies are balls. Yeah. And it's like, man, it's that like, is like rare. It's like it's MO. Really, and it's just like, it's like, listen, it's like, I know you published this shit in the UK. They must have seen me. I mean, hey, look at the what Ratchet and Clank does here. You know, up uh, your arsenal. arsenal yeah, and, uh, yeah. It's Going like, commando. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, and this this doesn't t- uh, like it like take a- account of all the the meta layers either. Like Doke recounted that the uh, the DD forty four Dostevi. I I never knew how to pronounce that. Dostevsky. Do- yeah. Uh, yeah, the Dostevi. Yeah, the Dostevi. I think it's, it's a reference yeah. to Double D Bross. <laughs> oh that, yeah, yeah, I yawned, right. but that was supposed to be a joke. <laughs> I said Dostoevsky. Uh, so everything was to have a personality, weapons included. Each to have their own unique appearance, uh, soundbite, rate of fire and damage, uh, spread, such as with uh, shotties, uh, and reload speed. Originally, they wanted them to stay true to their real-world counterparts as possible. Um, I stated in the previous episode how prior shooters had primarily focused, uh, they, they were like more centered on like a fantastical setting. Uh, never before was anyone constructing like an AK-47 in a game. Yo, <laughs> yeah, Wolfenstein had real guns. Yeah, well, those were World War II guns. True. Uh, <laughs> the things were, they, they, they were crazy. When uh, Shane was watching us play it and we're doing facility with the uh, the AK, she's like, it looks like you're shooting a Duracell battery. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pencil. It's a pencil. The pencil yeah, gun, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, however, th- this was eventually dialed back when it was found that nobody in the crew had any personal experience with guns. Um, they took most of their information from a firearms textbook and Michael Mann's Heat. <laughs> Dope. Um, also, John Woo movies, which is how uh, wielding uh, Akimbo found its way in. Since the artists were so limited on polygons, the models were fairly low res. Uh, reloading was done out of frame. Uh, the first person sway, although it was uh, that was nice. Yeah. Uh, slowly rocking with Bond's breathing and pulse, um, his muscles tensing up when peering through a scope. It made things feel less robotic, and the visuals in front of you likely kept audiences' eyes on other places as well. There is a uh, to to interject. Uh, there is that oh, one that one YouTube channel you showed me. He does uh, comparisons of video game guns to real life. Yes, guns. I'm going to bring him up. Uh, I was going to say the one thing the, the with the weapons with personality. He points out in the game a lot of guns have these chrome or nickel finishes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's like that doesn't happen. You know, these guns have no finish like that in real life. But it's like it 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 sure it's like does, just for aesthetic reasons. It like just looks, looks cool. It does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that was cool. interesting. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, he's like, hey, there's no like, you know, like variant of this, but but it's like the, if the you, shape is yeah, he's like, yeah. well, if you put a, a nickel or chrome finish on it, it would look this is yeah. exactly it. So they, they did a lot with what they had. Yeah. Um, for the meleeing, the karate chop uh, I brought up was the result of uh, it being easier to render than a punching fist. <laughs> uh, even with the restrictions, the team managed to squeeze in quite the assortment: knives, pistols, machine guns, shotguns, grenade and rocket launchers, the Moonraker laser and golden gun. Artifacts plucked right from the series' past. Names were rewritten to circumvent legal issues, but this was a better fit for the game's style. Doom was where the developers would look for balancing. Attributes like magazine size were adjusted, what guns were able to pierce armor. Uh, the sniper rifle, by a mile, remains the most revolutionary. Oh, it yeah. almost didn't make it into the final build until Smith nagged Hollis and uh, Edmonds to do it. Every good spy is, uh, you know... It was well-trained in using a sniper, and its inclusion took two weeks to finalize alone. Um, By the way, we forgot another British slang, slappers only. Yes, that's yeah. right. <laughs> it's, dude, it's all over the English <laughs> totally in that game. Is. Yeah, it's, they really <laughs> love doing that, and um, I am playing through Fable 2 right now, and... I, it's funny because it's not, you know, it's not rare, but it's a British developer. Oh, that, that game is so British. That's, it's like, it's so funny that all these British, these, these British companies, they love like silly humor and, and sneaking in innuendo and all this stuff. Innu and yeah. There's so many like, like dick and ball and boob, like just yeah. <laughs> terminology. I am, I'm, I'm not mixing. Yeah. Fable 2 is a, it was a UK company, right? Lionhead. Lion, yeah. Yes. Lionhead, which yeah. Yeah. Okay. Peter Molyneux. So. Peter Molyneux. <laughs> Our Who boy. Is, okay, I'm not going crazy. He's very French, right? No, he's British. Yeah. What? Because he he's got that, like, Aronofsky last name. And also the think. last name. Yeah. Gonna, I don't, yeah. We did an episode about him. He's gonna. He was going to sell beans, and then they accidentally <laughs> said him computers, so he made populace. Mm -hmm. And the rest is history. And the rest is history. <laughs> you did that episode? Uh -huh. Yeah, it's like the uh, that, third the, episode. Th the What's Inside the Cube. Yeah, Curiosity. Mm -hmm. Oh my god! I I listened to the episode and I yeah. forgot that dude. I gotta go re-listen. Don't worry. To there, it. There's there's yeah. more of Peter in store. Of, um, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so on the opposite end of the elegant spectrum uh, with the sniper, you had the Clob, a notoriously terrible machine pistol and fan favorite for that reason. Uh, it was loud, weak, inaccurate. Had a tiny clip. The best you could do was spray it all over the place and hope a couple shots landed. Which is also deeply, uh, that was the other thing I wanted to bring shots up. Shots that equate to lesser damage than a th yes, the it's, signature yes, slap. Yes, it's a half a slap. <laughs> so, that was, okay, that was the other thing <laughs> I, the weapon channel pointed out. Um, that is also, ironically, one of the weapons that you can wield akimbo. Yeah. Okay, and not wielding any gun akimbo is one of the worst. It's like, if yeah. you only wield akimbo if you want to look cool and hit nothing. But he and said it was like that one is like the least impractical. Which is, yeah. Because it's it, so lightweight. Because it's so lightweight, but it's funny that it's like the club is the most inaccurate gun in the game and you're wielding it in the most inaccurate way possible That's as true. well. And it's like, yeah, it was. Any yeah. level that it's in, there's always two. Yeah. For for a moment, they wanted to throw in an even worse version of it. Jeez. But they soon rescinded that the normal club was, uh, was funny yeah, enough. You, you can't, <laughs> it's like it's still useful in the game if you're close up and just spray them. Yeah. If you make it so bad, it, people are just gonna never want to pick it up so <laughs> it's yeah. good it's it's good for multiplayer because like multiplayer has that friction where when you get shot you go flying backwards yeah. so everybody's just pushing each other dude uh, that dude the stunlock and the push were like it's, yeah it's awful <laughs> uh, of course we can't speak on the club without retelling the tale of its uh its name 
Uh, oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, uh, this is why I was, I was like, you got to tell this story. Yeah, uh, as I said, Rare was not interested in fighting it out with gun manufacturers. Uh, the AK became the KF7 Soviet. The Walther PPK became the PP7, and the Scorpion became the Spider. Spider, Spider and, with a Y. Yeah, which was also a copyrighted gun, I think, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> if you guys recall, and I know I do, there was a line of paintball autocockers in the of 90s course. and 2000s of called course. the Spider. There was the Titman, yep. mm-hmm. but I was like, I remember I wanted to try it out, it and it's like, out. the yeah. Spider was like, kind of like, it was cheaper, but it was like, it was, was that doing, chrome, like, yeah, and it's, so it's like, yeah, it wasn't as good as the Titman, but it's like, it was a good, like, it, like if you were on a budget, I do yeah. remember the Spider. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I never, I wonder if they still make those. I, I never know. wound up buying that paintball gun. It was, it was, you know why? Because paintball guns are like 200 bucks, and I just that's didn't a, have that's it. That's the thing. It's like it's just easier. It's it's a rant now. Yeah. Like it's. Yeah. I thought the scorpion was the club. It was. You said the scorpion was the spider. No, in real yeah. life, it's called the scorpion. In the game, it was initially called the spider. Yeah. Oh. But then there, so the law department phoned up the studio to request another change. Oh. Um, to yeah. Because of the paintball company. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, That's where precisely. you're going with that. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, Nintendo had already printed eight hundred thousand instruction manuals with the second rename. Uh, except that was entirely forgotten after this solution. <laughs> um, so the, the the team was told that whatever they chose would need to pass a worldwide trademark search. Uh, Rare didn't have time to conduct that, so they went with a special nod to their Nintendo of America buddy, Mister Ken Lobb. And thus, the club was born. Mm-hmm. This was guaranteed to have uh, not been taken. Um, so who was Ken Lobb? Uh, essentially, he was the liaison between Rareware and the mighty Mario publisher who was funding the project. Uh, during the last nine months of development, Ken was dubbed their champion by Botwood, uh, supportive and enthusiastic. Quote, we did him a huge disservice labeling the loudest, most inaccurate weapon after him. Hollis later expressed a similar regret and apologized. <laughs> Lobb, though, was... He was thrilled, uh, honored, uh, even pointing out that it was the best gun if you set the rules to one-hit kills. Uh, of course, the caveat. <laughs> no, it's like, yeah, of course. It's I, I think, it. yeah, I do remember they, they was like, they, we feel bad, and Ken is like, yeah, this, this is great. I love it. So, <laughs> yeah. no, if one-hit kills, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, before we move on, there was another check-in from the big end who showed concern in featuring a particular type of weapon, knives. Already not... Super Bond, per se, so they were quietly removed, only the hunting variant, from the Japanese release. Yeah. Likely in response to a tragic murder in the country involving a knife. It is, if you really think about it, killing someone with a hunting knife is pretty visceral. That's, that's a lot more brutal. It's than, brutal, yeah. yeah a yeah. hunting knife, even, it's just a visceral. Like, So yeah. the, the facts they had gotten stated that it was offensive as a portrayed, quote, too much murder in the close distance. Uh, the guys adhered to the cut, but laughed about the phrasing since it meant that the throwable knives were okay. Just yeah. not the stabby ones. Not the stabby ones, yeah. <laughs> no, no, the throwing knives, the throwing knives is more- fucking hysterical. I love that sound. <laughs> <laughs> you're just like- <laughs> And you just hear like, boom! <laughs> like, also- And they know, bounce off the walls, it's great. This, also- is, I would, this is where, if we were a video podcast, I would edit in footage of The Last of Us Part 2 when you get the knife in that game. Oh, <laughs> I think, you you want to see fucking brutal. Yeah, yeah. See, we'll see exactly, you know, and also it's like, throwing knives are like, like more like- Classic assassin sort of way. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. it. It feels it more assassin like. People aren't really <laughs> the fucking knives around like they used to. It is, but it's funny in the game because they don't. You throw the knife and you can get it back. <laughs> yeah, well, when you th- when an assassin throws a knife, 
it sticks in the person and then they go, oh, and then they die. Oh, yeah, and this it like ricochets off. It doesn't them. matter what hits them, <laughs> yeah. the blade or the the handle, it yeah. does the same amount of damage. It just kind of bounces off and maybe, thinks you know, on the ground. Maybe that's why it's so hard to kill guards on double aging with them. Every single time Bond throws, they get hit, <laughs> by, hit, by, the they get hit yeah. by the handle. They're not the same. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and this wasn't the uh, the sole instance of a removal either. Uh, a portion of uh, other weapons were trimmed to save time. Were seen left over in Goldeneye's coat: a dart gun, a flare gun, a fire extinguisher. Time Splitters two it came back. Your uh, non-auto shotgun and the Taser Boy were still accessible boy. via cheats. Yep. Some gadgets got tossed to the cutting room floor: a keyring that emits knockout gas, uh, the exploding pen from the film. Yeah. That's suspiciously absent. Yep. There also um, were plans for a firing range on the main menu for players to test out their, you know, their equipment in a, in a non-threatening environment. Uh, that and to earn scores in an accuracy uh, minigame to unlock stuff. Huh. Um, it was modeled after the one in Q Branch and, and everything. And uh, uh, alas, the mirrors and transparent geometry caused slowdown and proved to be a lot for the space on the cart. Space they'd need for multiplayer. Yeah, yeah. Man. You have to wait till perfect dark to get your shooting range. <laughs> so I was going to say, uh, in my opinion, one of my favorite features, I might like it even more than the campaigns, was the challenge and the challenge league modes from the time splitters. Mm. I had a, like, yeah. I, it's like once you were done the campaign, it was so fun because it added so much backstory and challenge to it. And it's like having that in Goldeneye would have been so cool. I know. Oh, no, man. I, it's just like, God. Yeah, that was one thing we didn't get to explore. The challenge mode in those games is fun it's as so hell. Fun, it's yeah. fun as hell. It's it's, it's, so... it's like it's almost like that uh that game we played at the pinball hall. It's it's like WarioWare, but for like in a first person shooter. Yeah, they, that's essentially <laughs> they come up with different scenarios, and it's so it's such a unique twist on multiplayer. It's really cool. <laughs> During testing, Hollis ran into huge difficulties aligning shots. Uh, you had to be practically perfect. Um, this was when they came to the smart decision to mitigate the trouble by adding an automated aiming system. It may have been generous, but it certainly didn't take away from the challenge, especially on secret and uh, the oh, double O yeah. agent modes. I will tell you for certain, does not take away the no. challenge. <laughs> nope, you will be that it gotten. The, the oh. auto-aim just gave the, uh, the player a Bond-like confidence and That's... allowed them to focus on objectives as well as foreshadow what not to shoot. I know... I know I'm supposed to talk about my feelings on the game in part three, but mm. that is the best decision that anybody yeah. has ever made. Mm -hmm. I like. I don't understand why certain certain games it makes sense to me. A lot of shooters' emphasis on on precision and accuracy has gotten to yeah, not just shooters. Like every video game, it's like, come yeah. on, man. Like what? Like. To use an example, like Assassin's Creed or something, it's like, if I really, like, should I be missing eight times with the bow and arrow if I'm a master assassin <laughs> who's starting yeah. a guild of assassins that's yeah. going to change history? Just let me fucking auto-aim. Like, No, I agree. That, especially when you're Bond, right? That's the thing. Exactly. It's like, you're supposed to feel like fucking Bond, so just running into a room and being like, bop, 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 and killing four people. Feels is, great. That's what Bond does yeah. in the movie, so yeah. yeah. And this was paramount for the genre to exist on home consoles, as it would return time and time again as an industry standard for control-based FPSs. Call of Duty, Medal of Honor, Halo, all sported an assistance in guiding your bullets gently towards enemies. But it took long hours to get just right. Games are defined by their polish and feel. It reminds me of the the Uncharted thing. That's one of my favorite oh, cheats in games. Yeah, have you heard have this? Have you heard Matt? this story? Wait, what's up? Mm -hmm. In Uncharted, so Naughty Dog calls it the luck stat. So Nathan Drake is 
Naughty Dog's whole thing is that Nathan Drake and Uncharted is one of the luckiest men alive. I have heard this story. Yeah, <laughs> so when enemies are shooting at you in the beginning of a battle, yeah. you start with a, a certain percentage of luck and it slowly drains down and yeah. they can't hit you at the beginning. They they always miss at the beginning of a battle to give you the edge. That's really cool. Because he's so lucky. Now, and finally, now, when you get struck, that's when your luck runs out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what I say. It was just like, oh, is that supposed to be his health? But no, this is like a hidden. It's a luck. hidden. Yes. It's a hidden yeah. thing that the player doesn't see, but you will never get shot the first bullet that shot at you in Uncharted. I mean, yeah, which is yeah, may, but mm-hmm. you know what? I mean, I suppose a lot of games probably implement that Actually, somehow. But I, I like the I like the idea. I like that the philosophy. Like, yeah, a, lot, like a lot of games get around that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because guess what? I've said this a million times before, and I'll say it a million times again. It is very easy to to create AI that is very good never at killing misses. you. Yeah, it is very hard to create dumb AI that is believable enough. Yes, exactly. It's there's this fine middle ground that you need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like it reminds me of uh, uh, you know Dan and Chris are really into chess they go to chess yeah. doc, you know and you can play an AI and you there's gotta be like like 30 different grades of difficulty you can go through <laughs> and then hurt me daddy they give them names and but the, the most challenging opponent the hardest one is just called engine. You just fight the engine, which means that the <laughs> rest of them. deep blue. <laughs> you, you fight the engine because it's like that is the that is a perfect play engine. The difficulties are they had to add in. They you have to add in the, the <laughs> mistakes. The mistakes. Yeah. yeah. Machine yeah. learning. Oh, boy. Which is which is I mean, that just says it's like you said, it's like it's you can make AI that never misses and shoots perfectly and reacts correctly. It's. How do you make it so it feels fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and fun. Yeah. <laughs> so th- this um, part of the process sucked. Uh, Dokken Jones uh, lamented this stage of production. Uh, 12-hour uh, uh, days were common. Working weekends were common. As with many turmoils of, uh, you know, gaming development. And uh, GoldenEye was sadly no exception. Um, Rare's company mantra echoed in the minds of its employees. Scrappiness with an obsessive uh, ethic was their that was their thing. Like yeah. since the eighties, yeah. Uh, as unhealthy as that might be to reflect on today, is this again? I I said this in the the first episode. It depends entirely upon what is driving you to work. If if no, if, you're, you're if, right. yes. If you are there because you're you are obligated to be there, and some or someone is obligating you. It's miserable when you are there because you are obsessed with doing something. Yeah, it, it's and they like, wanted. Yeah, to be. it's, it's also and that's, there's yeah. also a culture that Rare had that modern video game companies lack, which is like the family thing. It, where well, it's like, yeah, modern video game developers will spend eighteen hour days sleep in their offices for months and months at a time, and then a lot of them will just get let go because it doesn't take thirty people to make a game anymore. It takes three thousand. Right. Yeah. And so it's it's more of a thing, like the thing with you know, that's happened so often recently, where somebody will come out on Twitter and be like, "Hey, this game's coming out tomorrow. I did three months of work on it, and I'm not in the credits because that's so not fucked. how the contracts work." And it's like, yeah, Man. whereas like at least at the very least, like all these people at Rare were like they were either fresh out of college, like a lot of them, but. I'm sure they, yeah. some of them were there before there and a lot of them voice. were there after. Yeah. Like, and and the like, ones that weren't there after were at Free Radical after and then they <laughs> yeah. stayed there for a while. It was, it's like a lot of them, like, it's like they clearly in the interviews say that they, they talked to the Stampers directly. They met the mm-hmm. Stampers 12 year old child. It's like mm-hmm. they clearly, it's like there was clearly a personal connection between the owners and the developers and they had huge ownership over the game. It, probably, it helps when you're, 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 
direct superiors are in the trenches too. Yeah. You know, like that, like um, or yeah. just what Matt said, like you know, look at our fucking game of the year podcast. Yeah, that took me a very long time <laughs> to edit, but I did it because I wanted no, to. Right. Whereas, yes, if my work had asked me to work those hours to do something <laughs> for them, I'd be like, go fuck yourself. It's completely different. It's like it's like Randy. It's like I worked like, more on this than I did yeah. through all of college. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's it. It's like how many? I'm like, kidding. I love it's college. like how many hours have you put into writing scripts? But it doesn't. Oh, it God, doesn't end, endless. It's like it doesn't more feel, than anything. It doesn't feel miserable because it's like you want to do that. And it's yeah. like, listen, I'm sure, and I got to say this. I'm sure there were many days there that actually it was they, probably more than any of my professional or public education. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there are many days there that they were probably exhausted and probably were not in the mood to work on the game too. You're that, correct, that is, and it's like yeah. I'm not going to that. I feel like saying that everything was great that that's misleading, but it's like no. It's but all, at the end of the day, it's, it's like all those things combined. Uh, you know, it's a different story, I think. And also, oh, right. I mean, you know, there was burn, there was burnout. We won't say that. I'm sure you're going to get to that, you know, mm. eventually. So. so the the pressure clouded over. Uh, imposter syndrome was setting in. Luckily, the upper management were taking on as much as the workload as everybody else. Uh, the studio also fostered friendly competition among the separate departments. Uh, they not only wanted to prove to the greater public that they had the talent, they wanted to show their friends down the hall that they had the talent too. Yeah. In 1996, Rare was basically split into four groups. The Bond team, the Killer team for KI, the Digger team for Blast Corps, and the Dream team, the DK folks who were in the midst of Project Dream, later Banjo-Kazooie. Despite the crunch, no one on record described their tenure there as being poor. Uh, adversely, Botwood and Kirkhope stated that they loved virtually every second of it. Yeah, yeah. Tim and Chris were said to be fantastic bosses, um, which honestly, it was just so refreshing uh, yeah. writing the script compared to previous topics we've covered uh, in that sense. Um, so, and, and like, nobody had anything bad to say about anyone. Uh, just a surprising amount of positivity all around that we discussed in our interview with uh, Elise. And the actual location this episode takes place in is charmingly sweet. Um, the once beautiful 18th century manor farmhouse, um, was run down, but it kept its allure. Uh, there were barns for each team locked with their own special key. Yeah. <laughs> what did this look like? It's like I, the yeah. Resident Evil. Like, <laughs> I do have to hope. I hope that it's, it's like when I think barns, I'm just like, I'm like, they put in like, like air circulation system. It's like, dude, can you imagine being out there in the summer? It's like, it's like, dude, it's like. I guess uh, I don't know how like mild or not mild the weather yeah. is. And yeah. It's like the a barn is pretty cool to work in until it's like, you think it's like, well, it wasn't just a barn. Or right? it's like, not insulated for winter. Thank I you. I'm, I'm just like, well, they had like, like temperature control and bathrooms in there, <laughs> right? Vision, like, like, like straw and cows, but also yeah, computers. All computer, yeah. It's like, I'm sure there was like yeah. a concrete pad, but I just thought about it. I'm just like, they added in, like, they didn't have to go to an outhouse, right? Like they added in modern <laughs> yeah. amenities, right? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Roosters and chickens wandered the property. just <laughs> 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 The thing you said, it just imagined like a Resident Evil style thing, and it's just <laughs> four keys and one of them's Banjo Kazooie, Banjo's head. One of them, no, it'd the be the puzzle piece. Uh, yeah, Jiggy, yeah, yeah, and Jiggy. then the second one would be the nuclear symbol for Blast Corps, yep. and then Pierce Brosnan's head, and then the Killer Instinct logo. Yo. Make if, these. if we ever get a chance to interview Doke, write that down as a question. Yeah. Like, oh, what like, did the keys look like? No, what did the bar? What were the barns like? Oh, it's, like yeah. it's like it's just like we. It's like barn. It's like I. We assumed that they were renovated, but like like how renovated? You're right. Yeah. When I picture a barn, it might be different. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was so, just a bunch of computers next to a feeding truck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so inside the Golden Eye Den, 
uh, were posters of Blade Runner and Pulp Fiction. They were tacked over the exposed brick. So there's brick yeah, in there. A brick, okay. Uh, a life-size cutout right. of Pierce Brosnan stood in the corner watching them. Uh, some funny guy even put a roll of toilet paper over the gun he was holding. Okay. <laughs> uh, Hilton shelves were decked out with model sports cars. Dokes had a Teletubbies print with movable character magnets that people would shift about in, quote, compromising position. <laughs> <laughs> they have fun. Yeah. Um, but uh, but that doesn't mean that, that, that they don't work hard. Um, the vibe there was mostly quiet and busy, yeah. um, honestly, with uh, uh, a squad member occasionally walking to and from the courtyard canteen to bring back tea or coffee. Uh, Doke and Hollis would have to duck out for quick smoke. Whenever Kasuke uh, Taraski or, and uh, Kenji uh, Okubo uh, from Nintendo would drop by their campus to assist in translation, they would join. They'd all hang after hours and get beer and curry together. Entertain one another with uh, Sean Connery impersonations and geek over Star Trek. This is so wholesome. I love it. Uh, mm. Apparently, that's where the red-shirted uh, innocence in the streets came from, yep. by the way. Yep. <laughs> that Star Trek that's a, that's a Yeah, that's a great anecdote. <laughs> uh, back in the barn, there was a soundproofed recording room where employees would take breathers in and shout obscenities to clear their heads. We need a really? rage, like a rage cage. That, wait, what is it called in Futurama? The, the angry dome. <laughs> God, that is, you're right. We, I feel like that is like, that could be a really useful, yeah. Just like, it's just a room where you get pissed Blow off. off steam, yeah. yeah. Um, but as Austin said, they were like, they really were a family. And the yeah. shared respect was always present. The only argument anybody there is reminded of uh, was in regards to how the tracer fire worked in terms of visibility. Okay. And when you like think about the the tremendous stress these dudes were under, that it's is like that tremendously was impressive. That was the only argument. Like, yeah. yeah, that's uh, pretty good. The devs consistently attribute the title's success to their dynamic, and Hollis himself repeatedly rejects the auteur theory that collaborative art, such as with video games, uh, are the outcome of a singular entity. Uh, directors are never the solitary reason a movie nails it. Right? Um, Jones agrees with this, uh, saying there wasn't a top-down hierarchy at Rare. They uh, trusted each other's judgment rather than adhere to a strict organizational structure. Nobody wished to make a generic shooter. They strived to give us something awesome. And that meant that the programmers, designers, artists, sound engineers, musicians, and QA testers had to be united in harmony for it to happen. So we're now a ways along into development here. Can you guys guess what major component is still missing? Um, oh, I know. Multiplayer. The, uh- no, that's that's later. Uh, the ZX Spectrum emulator that was hidden in it. That's, that's later. Wait, what? What component was still missing? Oh, so oh, I thought it was actually the. I thought that was the real answer. The multiplayer. I uh, okay. So it's still on rails. More important than no, the fucking console. It's supposed to be. All right. <laughs> oh, okay. my, oh my god! Wow. <laughs> actually, I thought that was. I, oh, damn. <laughs> okay, we had to keep going further and further back. Yeah. At uh, at the LA E3 in May 1996, Ken Lobb would stand on stage in the main conference hall next to a podium. Resting on top was the fabled Nintendo 64. Was it called the Nintendo 64 at this point? Uh-huh. Okay. It went for this is it was uh, renamed from the Ultra 64 to the N64. It didn't have as crazy as like a Dolphin to GameCube uh, or Revolution yeah. to Wii. Uh, Ultra 64 is a cool name. Yes. Remember, think- remember the Wii U was called Project Cafe. That was dumb. <laughs> that was stupid. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, is what was he- the Switch? I don't remember. Yeah. Well, uh, so does that mean the official title of like the of the Nintendo 64 is the Nintendo Nintendo 64? I mean, Nintendo was in the name is in the name of all their stuff somewhere, right? All so right. it's you know the oh yeah, the, uh, 
kid that forgot about it. Yeah, no, the, <laughs> the Super NES. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think about that. <laughs> They've been sticking with it for a while. Yeah. I'm going to fix it as a broken. Uh, so then uh, two young staffers of uh, NOA's Treehouse Division walked out with them. One picked up the controller, lob turned on the system, and a whole, like, the just the whole, like, world laid eyes on one of the most monumental and historic games to ever grace the art form, Super Mario 64. Um, the crowd collectively heard Charles Martinet's iconic non-Chris Pratt Mario voice. Yeah. And then... Uh, what are you talking about? They had all already played... Uh, what, <laughs> Mario's what, Game Gallery. Mario's Game Gallery. Yeah. They knew it was. Go Fish! Yeah. They, uh, <laughs> Codename NX was the switch I had to look at. Oh, right. Because it was so simple. That's why yeah. I forgot it. Yeah, uh, then after fun. the uh, glorious 3D panoramic opening outside of Peach's Castle, uh, and this was uh, airing on a mega-sized television behind them, basically their their audience was in awe. Um, this moment was big. And when heading over to the uh, Biltmore Hotel's ballroom following the demo, a party scene filled with Cirque du Soleil performers, this was where the public would first catch a glimpse of GoldenEye 007, one of a handful of titles promoted in a compilation video showcasing the system's upcoming library. The short clip that you can still find on YouTube features the, I don't know if there's sound, uh, features the then on rails beta of the solo mission with the player, the one I pointed out on the back of the box in our, uh, in our interview. Oh yeah. Uh, where you, you're using the AR 33, not even obtainable in that level. And it's, uh, you're slowly being escorted around a set path, aiming and shooting at Russian soldiers. The response was mostly whatever. Yeah. Um, the people were too enamored with <laughs> Super Mario to care about a time crisis wannabe based on a now six-month-old movie. Yeah. And <laughs> was this, I blame them? Was this the E3 that I was thinking about before? Was was this the banjo one? No. Yeah. I I knew. I'm like. There's. I'm like. These are like, there's a couple of conferences they got to get through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but obviously, this wasn't uh, the Golden Eye that would that we you know would eventually come to know and love. And just how did this project go from that pitch to winning Game of the Year awards 15 months later? So around this period was when the Bond team would finally get access to a proper Nintendo 64 dev kit. That initial relief then quickly gave away to disappointment, however, when they learned that the hardware was not that nearly as is, powerful as yeah, previously indicated. Man, that is that has got to be... It's not just a letdown, but that has got to be. Can you imagine making that discovery? And, and you're that like, far along? Well, like, and not only that, yeah. that far along, can you imagine making that and realizing, like, oh, my God, how much you need to scale down the performance? Yes. Oh, so man. with that, the uh, so the, the processor was three quarters less fast than what they were told. Both the ROM and RAM were going to be an issue. It still gave them advantage in texture rendering over the Saturn, 3DO, Atari Jaguar, or even PS1, but the limited cache meant Assets would need to be downgraded in pixel count. Um, yep. What they had generated prior would cause the gameplay to slow or crash. Therefore, an equal balancing of memory to half graphical fidelity and half performance had to be optimal. So they, they if, if a level couldn't run at a decent frame rate, backgrounds and characters and props had to get retouched to hit that speed. Uh, colors were first to be changed. RGB is a processing hog, uh, so several of GoldenEye's visuals were converted to a more black and white grayscale, with color accents being done by hand. They had to get specific and very technical uh, and edit individual pixels to achieve this. Remember, this didn't share the cartoony look of Nintendo's other franchises. They were going for realistic. Um, space was a hurdle too, of course. Memory was uh, conserved by recycling art assets, 
the multiplayer radar was a repurposed barrel drum model turned upside down. Really? Yeah. Huh. And they, they had to be clever, creative in their compression solutions. Fog was added. Open areas like Cradle were particularly a nightmare. Even in tighter corridor-type zones like Archives, rooms were split into smaller rooms with uh, shut doors added to hydrol. Uh, the player only really needed to see what was in front of them. An example being in Dam where the dual-gated scene with the, the truck was inserted to free yeah. up hardware budget. Yeah, no, they do that, so it's like they make sure that you're not going back to that area before they deload it. Or if <laughs> right. you do go back to it, you got to deload. Yeah, you got to <laughs> deload the area. Yeah, so. They're still doing it. <laughs> I mean, another example of that There's is in... Um, the God of War, when you get to crawl. Oh, the... Cr- yeah, when yeah. you have to crawl in the cracks. Yes. Or, like, yep. any game that does that, where you have where to crawl under it. something or crawl through a crack, they're they're deloading the previous and loading the next one. Uh, also in facility, ready the uh, when you are in the U-shaped hallway, you know you know the um, the lab with the 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 trash can barrels. If you shoot them, yeah, the gas. Of course, there is a double door before that. Think about oh, it. Oh, there is. You gotta you, yeah. you gotta turn on that console first before you. You turn on the around. console. You run around and actually and it there's a little there's two consoles. There's a little room in there, and you gotta wait for the door behind you to close before the the one in front of you opens. Up. Fuck, like, you're, no, you're right. Hey, that's like in Halo. They, uh, they couldn't put that in because the game was so open, so it just literally pauses and says loading. and then That's kind of like what Half-Life or Red Faction does and mm-hmm. things like yep. that. Like, yeah. But uh, by the end, they'd wrung everything they could out of that fucking machine and its measly 12-megabyte cartridges, uh, managing to condense the entire game file into... Gosh. Oh, man, I lost it, but... Less than 12 megabytes. <laughs> uh, oh God. Tragically, though, many of the devs are still haunted by GoldenEye's inconsistent frame rate. Less than 12 megabytes, dude, they, like, oh, my God. They're, like, images that are larger than that at this <laughs> point. Like, holy, holy crap. <laughs> so they felt bad for that, uh, the, the frame rate. Um, ideally, 30 FPS was the goal. On average, it usually ran somewhere between 15 to 30, sub 10 if you count jungle or split screen, oh, yeah. and 60 if you count the intro. Um, it was <laughs> a low number, but not for 97. Sacrificing those frames uh, for more detailed artwork was a deal Hollis was willing to make. I, mean, I don't think they had much of a choice at that or point. Or a sacrifice, I should yeah, say. I, not a deal. Say, I don't think, it, yeah, it's I, like, yeah, I don't. I will say, uh, you don't realize people, there's a mini rant, and I don't mean to cut you off in the no, middle of your. You're good. Keep, people need to chill out. They don't, you don't realize if. A consistent thirty is fine. Oh yes, yeah, we've talked about this. Um, and then, but once you see sixty, you can't go back to thirty, and so that's my problem with. And again, you'll get to it in part three, I'm sure. Yeah. But that's my problem with the, uh, with the the, the re-release, yeah, the the, ports, the, the yeah. recent port, because, yeah. um, we played that XBLA leak, and man, does Goldeneye <laughs> play real well at sixty. <laughs> It's, it was the same thing when I, I recently, uh, because of the show, went back and played The Last of Us. Yeah. And then yeah. I remembered that there is a Last of Us 2 update for PS5. They played a little bit of Last of Us oh, 2. Oh, shit. I forgot. I played a little bit of Last of Us That's 2 at 60 frames. Next gen all over again. Then. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. That 
Fuck. We can stop making graphics look better and just make them look yeah. like that. Yeah. Like <laughs> just stop there and then yeah. make the focus on like. I mean, that's that's unfair because Naughty Dog is our yeah. wizard. Nobody but has access to that. <laughs> holy shit, those animations. You think those animations look good at 30? Anytime you play a Naughty Dog game, it, they, I think there was a, uh, a joke on the Bombcast where they say it, it, where it makes you want to dig behind your console, pick it up and look and be like, well, what's going on back there? <laughs> <laughs> like something I don't know about. Well, you don't have to dig behind it on a PlayStation 3 or 4. Because that thing was... To, it's going to take flight. Thing sounds like the Apollo 13 about to launch. <laughs> Kill me. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they overcame those hindrances, um, except they were still going back and forth on the structure of the campaign and its missions. The bar next door where the KI crew was had received a prototype copy of Mario 64. Uh, standing around a CRT, uh, the Rare employees continued to be wowed by the character's movements and freedom. The tracking camera, the animations... Um, and then they began unpacking it bit by bit, really dissecting what made the title so instantly, instantly fun. The answer was that it didn't restrict anything. Players were always motivated to explore. They knew on-rail shooters are already obsolete, and this was when they came to the realization, depending on who you ask, according to Elise, that the uh, open on-rail bonus mode that they messed around with would be the game. Unleashed to its full potential. Uh, this is the moment I mentioned. Yes, we we interview the author of that that book, and mm-hmm. she mentions the one of the more more interesting things. Uh, this is uh, according to I guess one or more of the devs. Apparently, none of them could agree on when the actual on rails <laughs> yes. change happened, which is yeah. fascinating. But yeah, so uh, this is the official story, I guess. Yeah. All right, we're following as close as, yep. as we can. But also, uh, side note. Yeah. They sent Mario 64 to the Killer Instinct team <laughs> and not the Banjo-Kazooie team? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe, I'm sure maybe they swiped clear, their mail. Clearly the Banjo-Kazooie team played Mario 64, <laughs> yeah. but that's weird. Yeah, maybe this is a, maybe uh, you're pointing out some shortcomings of a siloed development environment where they just, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, I mean, they, they've shared it around clearly, yeah, but really, yeah. that, that is funny to me. That is very funny. Uh, the graphics were able to render the 3D polygons from any orientation or direction. Uh, the controller stick with their auto aim assist made precision feasible. Um, it was no easy decision, but their minds were set. No longer would Goldeneye be a 007 branded Virtua Cop. So they swallowed that pill, got an extension on the release, and delayed the launch again. It still retained a few arcade-like qualities, the location-based damage, the reloads, the penalties of killing innocents, plus the leftover hold R mechanic. The DNA loomed in certain levels. Hell, train is practically an on it, practically a rail with how confined it is. Yeah, it really there's a lot of uh points. It's a straight line. There's a lot of points in that game, and I'm sure you noticed uh, a couple. Um It'll pretty much be uh, a hallway. It's a, essentially there are parts of it where you can tell it was almost a shooting gallery. I think Silo is the most notable thing mm-hmm. where it's like it's a bunch of hallways with the boxes. You mentioned facility when you open that door and the three guards are just, yep. just walking towards you. There are parts of it that very much so feel like a shooting gallery, but there are also parts of it where you, I don't know when the objectives were decided upon. Pretty late, uh, actually. They had yeah. to have been, right? Because, like, train, yes, train is basically an on rail shooter. Yeah. But the objectives <laughs> of, like, oh, let's kill the. Fuck you. <laughs> or like, you destroy the brake 
boxes at the end of each train. How yeah. many times I had to go backwards? Go back. and, yeah, and oh, I forgot. Because you imagine if that was on rails and you just start the whole level over at <laughs> that's, the end. No, that's you very, the that last wouldn't one. work at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, pulling bond off that linear pathing uh, to an open one took a while. Um, throughout the bulk of production, they didn't have an official controller to use. Uh, instead, resorting to a quote butchered Sega Saturn pad for testing. Um, wow. Oh my god, dude! It's like not can supplying you, them with anything. Can you imagine how much sooner this game would have came out if they just started out working with the technology they needed immediately? <laughs> it's like so. Yeah, it feels like so much of the work must have had to be undone, or it's like a butchered controller. It's like, like that means that they probably had to take time to do that, to yeah. like to like to like, like why, mod this thing, mod this thing, and it's just like it, yeah. It's like, if I feel like they would have cut off like at least a year of development time if they had just had it, maybe even more, because you said they didn't get the N64 until a year in. Yep. You'd be surprised even now how jank dev kits are. Yeah. Like, the, I was reading the thing recently, another anecdote, sidetrack, but I was reading a thing recently about how Stadia's dev kits work, because technically Stadia didn't exist. <laughs> Except oh. on the server rack. Yeah, All right. I never thought and about so that. And so the way you have to think about it is like you, when you build a game, right? Let's say like, oh, I found a bug. Let me try and fix it. You have to build the game, play the game, find the bug, go back, fix the bug, test the game locally, and then build the game again and then test it again. And it was like with Stadia, they had you had to build the game, which for some games, especially now, is not... A quick process. No. You then had to upload it to Google servers. Google had to authenticate it. Google had oh. to upload it onto the rack. And then you could play it on the cloud. That sounds fucking... Oh. And so initially Google was like, we don't need dev kits. And then everybody's like, yeah, you fucking do. <laughs> like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> so once that was amended... That does, that does sound miserable. They toyed, uh, they toyed around with a couple different methods for inputs. Uh, settling on the scheme we've you know grown accustomed to. Yeah, the two controllers. <laughs> one hand holding the middle prong uh, with the stick dedicated um, to both looking and moving via your left thumb. Uh, the controller or the trigger underneath would naturally be fire. Uh, your other hand on the right prong for actions like changing your weapon and initiating commands, while the top shoulder buttons um, being that uh, concentrated aim. Uh, they had a ton to figure out. This couldn't mimic a mouse on PC, so having the joystick reset your configuration was a sly way to keep players pointed in the center direction. Uh, not just that, like, uh, they they did include other attempts. Uh, in the, they, they, they said, Austin, the, uh, in the options, there were choices for lefties, and, and if you plugged in two controllers, dual analog, baby, they predicted it. Imagine if those C buttons was a stick. That'd be it, 100%. I mean, yeah. I mean, the C button is essentially just a... Or at least the way they use the C buttons, it's a it's a prototype. It's, yeah. You essentially have... That's a, how you strafe. It's it's dual analog if if one is analog and the other is literally a, a digital D-pad. Right, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. But, I mean, was the SGC4 controller the first controller that had, like, an analog stick? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, yeah. A, an analog stick... Like, in the, the official... First party controllers. Yes, but well, the, it's there. Circle pads existed before that, and then you. Oh it, no, the CDI. The, that had no, an analog stick. No, we are not well, giving the CDI the credit for that. It's wanna, the first one. You well, know, no, Atari. You would say the Atari Twenty Six Hundred then. Like, oh, that's right? a joystick. <laughs> what? That's different. What's this? 
there's a, this motion. <laughs> you're holding it with your hand or you're putting your thumb on top of it? Putting your thumb on top of it like, is an but, analog stick. But actually, I think the real question putting is... Putting your hand on his joystick. No, Because well, then it's the arcade. Right. Did those have analog input or were those just sticks with digital with eight, you know, eight directions or whatever? I don't know um, if there was analog input. I think it was just... And yes, joysticks were digital. They're not analog. There you go. And also the N64 is analog sticks. Garbage. <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe... Uh, hey, somebody had to do it first, you know? Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, maybe it's and like... PlayStation when, came a couple of years later and knocked it out of the park. Yeah, maybe it's <laughs> like if Dreamcast you're resting... came your, and tried their best. Maybe <laughs> if you're going to be spending a lot of time holding down a stick with the end of your thumb a lot, you shouldn't, A, make the top hard plastic, and B, <laughs> make the thing holding it up this brittle twig yeah. of a thing. And it's like, what, you get that white gunk in there? That's the crazy uh, thing is if you've ever taken apart a controller and looked at how an analog stick works, like yeah. an Xbox or a PlayStation analog stick, there's it's the, it's the thing you put thumb goes on and then a stick and then a dome, and then inside is a bunch of magnets and rubber bands, and depending on how the rubber bands pull the magnets, it determines how much you're pulling the stick. Yeah, The N64... Controller doesn't have that. It's, it's like, like you said. There's no. There's no base with which to rotate around. It's yeah. just literally like strings tied to a stick. That's why it gets so wobbly and shitty after like <laughs> years of using it. Yeah. yeah. No. That was. Uh, God bless him. It was great. But it's like that was. It was the first time around, I guess. What can yeah. I say? Anyway, yeah. back to GoldenEye. <laughs> so besides this, that uh, that friction uh, was now an element of consideration. Um, also, additional tiers of difficulty were beginning to be experimented with. Um, those said adjustments to the aim assist would vary in helpfulness in part to whether you picked agent, secret agent, or double O agent. Really? Easy, medium, and hard. Uh, so which, is, there less is, a is there less aim assist on double mm -hmm. O? Okay. I didn't yeah. know that. Because the easy is easy, and the hard is hard. Hard <laughs> and the medium. This was drastic. Is medium. <laughs> the medium is medium. Yeah, it's it's very medium. Um, and going from on rails to sandbox meant other reworks too. Guard patrol AI and navigation had to be painstakingly modified, since in that light gun ass genre, getting attacked was normally all you had to deal with. Uh, here they'd receive the ability to hide, pursue, activate alarms for reinforcements. Uh, Doke and Botwood, who were responsible for the pre and post mission scenes, spliced in-level scripted events like the various NPC conversations to flesh out the player's engagement with the plot. Um, Did you see that thing? Bot the Botwood, Duncan Botwood? Does the name right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he... There's there, the there some cutscenes that change based on... Yeah, at the, the end of Depot. Like, yeah, yeah whatever one, gun you have is what he... The one, like, the one where you get on the train, the one before train. That's Depot. That's Depot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you it's kill... Cool. If you could kill the guards before you get on, then he doesn't kill the guards. Yes. They're already dead. But if, but if you just open the door and run in, he, he kills, kills the guards, he kills in the guards the himself. Yeah. It's yeah. cool. So you, the, it's always like, try and find the silliest weapon in your inventory. Yeah. <laughs> you just watch Bond like throw yeah. knives or use a rocket launcher. Yep. <laughs> um, this while uh, Hollis kept returning back to Super Mario 64 for more insight. One massive aspect of what made the game so commendable to designers was the way it persuaded you to replay already beaten worlds with new challenges to collect extra stars. Goldeneye could do the same, but in those aforementioned difficulty selections. Rather than only shooting people, a wide variety of tasks can now be assigned to complete each chapter of Bond's adventure. Protecting a sidekick, destroying a mainframe, bugging a chopper, stealing documents, disarming a bomb, infiltrating a base, meeting an informant, even rescuing hostages. A few of these had multiple solutions, others did not. A significant number had fail states. 
This effectively shook things up. The I, drama and pacing especially. I have a, a weird question, actually. Yeah. And they, that train cut scene. If you're holding up a grenade, does he does he just hold up a grenade and, like, shoot bullets out of it and then, like... Right. No, I think he throws it. Like, or at least... I don't know if there's an animation of him throwing, but I think it's just, like, the... That's know. what I was going to say. It's well, like, we're going to test out this theory. I was going to say, it's like, like you don't... <laughs> if you had you mimes, actually, like, There's no animation, but does he just, like, does a grenade just shoot out of his well, chest? Can you like, get what, grenades what, in what that level? No, but there's the all guns but the all so it has to account for yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. That's true. <laughs> um, Action-packed levels would be evenly contrasted with um, uh, quieter, sneakier levels. Uh, the days of purely grabbing keys to lock doors was in desperate need of a spin. Now, getting past such an obstacle could lead to having to use a decoder gadget given by another spy, or maybe you had to scare a scientist into dropping, said Geekard. Yeah. Um, a drivable tank was added. Uh, originally, Runway was to feature a motorcycle for you to hijack as portrayed in the film, but this was deemed too much for the limited time they were facing. Um, two full missions were axed. One that fit between a jungle and control called Perimeter, and a second that would follow 007's escapades through the casino, again from the movie. In similar fashion, Streets initially had you actually chasing General Ormov through, um, but uh, this was understandably undoable in the third, the currently uh, a you know what that, tools that level concept would return in Twine, different developer. Mm-hmm. The world is not enough. You had to chase Bullion through. Uh, yes, yeah, and you had to chase the assassin uh, in the in, in the, in the yeah. earlier part of the so third level. It actually, it was, those are fun levels. So it's yeah. like it, the concept doesn't work, but of course, like having no, a tank. I, I, I don't know if the idea was that Ormov would be in a car with Natalia because that's that's what it is in the yeah. So with the like, kind of like the things that got abandoned or you know, or or sort of like tweaked. Um, this is when speculation surrounding the Forbidden Island and Dam and and. Even today remains one of GoldenEye's grandest mysteries. Yeah, um, well, it's not much of a mystery anymore. No, but it, but I guess it's not. Still it like, was, you know, yeah, when growing was, up. I would say it's uh, it's very much uh, one of its most uh, noteworthy. Yeah, yeah. We we talked with Elise about how uh, a rideable boat was intended to be there, and then later scrapped. Yeah. Um, but uh, leaving behind these relics is an undeniable piece of the handcrafted charm of game development in this yeah. era even if Botwood is regretful of it. Yeah. Uh, also, frankly, a formal removal was probably more work. Um, why not well, let taking a simpler road grow into the title's mythology? Well, that was, I mean, I think that was essentially the philosophy and, and also one of the reasons that all of this stuff got left on the cutting room floor. It's just like, it's work to remove it. Just leave no, it leave in it. and make it inaccessible. Yeah. Which would, we got to uh, move on to something else. Yeah, I know. Well, this would later come back to hurt uh, GTA San Andreas. <laughs> yeah, I know you guys cover that. That's a really good no, callback, I mean, that, actually. That's, that was the, I, that's that, totally the same line of thinking. It's the same line of thinking. It's yeah. like, just like, it's more work to get rid of it. Just yeah. make it inaccessible. But like hot coffee in, in San Andreas... I think the, probably the reason that game companies take stuff out now is because they realize... It's a liability. Not only that, but it's just like, they cut all these things, probably not expecting... Well, but, now people are going to rip it apart, like, no, right? You like, know, not even now, but look, back then, even then, people like got hints, and it's like people... like It's like, it doesn't matter. Like, dude, play, players that want to find it will... like They become obsessed with it. They want to find the cut content. And it's like, even, yeah. back, even back then... You know, San Andreas, it's like everybody. It's we like, all went on those hunts as a kid. Yes. When you get, when you get like so obsessed with like a single thing, you're just like, I want to know everything about this. Like, I think, yeah. I think it's, I think it's the problem now is that it's become way more surgical. Do you have Sonic the Hedgehog socks on? I do. <laughs> um, he one upped you, man. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. <laughs> yeah. It, it, the, the problem now is that it's become way more surgical. Yeah. Where before it was like, 
oh, we'll find all the weird glitches and Easter eggs, and then, oh, maybe we have a game shark and we can access, like, a gun that got cut, and now somebody just, like, takes the EXE file that they get from Steam, and then they put it into a decompiler, and then it gives them a, <laughs> yeah. a directory of all the files. Like, oh, here it is. They find one text <laughs> file that where some guy's just like, man, fuck my boss, and then they, like, publish <laughs> it on Twitter. The new Tetris on yeah. the 64, that one's great. There's just, like, ASCII arts of, like, like pot leaves and yeah. like middle fingers. Wow. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, and I love this. Uh, another fable dropped feature involved the patented N64 rumble pack. Uh, it's known that the finished version supports it. Although there was a brief phase where dope suggested having the user unplug and replug this. in the device to act as your held weapons reload. It may feel cool, but it was instantly impractical to physically perform the action so frequently. Yeah. Oh my also god. Probably break the rumble pack. Yeah. If <laughs> I not, think it was if not just like the clip on the back of the controller. <laughs> Dude, I cannot tell you. Yeah. You know what? It's such a cool idea. The yeah. first. It's such a. It feels like it would be so cool the first time, and then instantly you would hate you know, it. How many yeah. times do you reload in just one, one mission? mission? Oh You're my like, god. Like. <laughs> Like probably, Every five seconds. Yeah, yeah. like a hundred. Holy God. Yeah. No, you would literally, and especially on those on those missions where you need to beat it in a certain time, it's like, no, you leave to take Oh, I didn't even hand. think about that. There's, yeah, you would yeah, not have never, been no. able to get any of those cheats. It, that, it's, a cool, it's a cool idea, but <laughs> you know what they, you know they could have done? Mm. I mean, they could have just left it on as a switch on Right, off, yeah, yeah. Or even better, do leave it as a cheat, and it's just like, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, clip mode or whatever. Maybe like... If it caused issues, they, they didn't want... Remember Mario Party? Like, oh... I mean, that was after, but... Well, you reminded me about that with the uh, analog stick. Yeah. I was like, nothing will ever... Nothing will ever be as notoriously... No, no, no game has ever destroyed more uh, we had, peripherals than that. I can't, ima- I can't remember how many N64 controllers we owned over the course of our time at our You parents. can tell what, what a, uh, a Mario Party controller and what a non-Mario Mario yeah. Party controller Dude. look like. We have like maybe like I think now later like bought it smash. like two controllers with okay and all the other ones are like hanging fucked limp. they're yeah. hanging limply Mine from too. like that yeah it's your just brother so... just bought that really nice one and I'm like jealous because yeah. I was just like whoa this is what they, they were supposed to be yeah yeah <laughs> uh, so the crew are in the rhythm play test riff ideas iterate play test again rinse repeat um, having the builds always runnable helped exorbitantly in permitting them to try new things Doke swears by this. And Hollis explained how the drive and ambition uh, negated the recklessness of it all. Um, the small size of the team at every voice was heard. Uh, not just that, but the bug fixing stage becomes far more streamlined when your QA person is sitting a cubicle away from the programmer or the artist. Implementing changes when your designer could just shout to another was a big benefit. Um, they'd even share computers, supposedly ensuing chaos if somebody made a typo. That is... um. <laughs> I mean, that's always the lesson is that it's like if you really want people to be successful at something, you need to give them room to fail. Yeah. Because if you try and control it that much, you're going to get maybe you'll get, you know, you'll, you know, if you try and control it, it's like, you know, there's less risk to it. But also it's like you don't get the creativity and freedom that truly marks like yes. a groundbreaking thing, which is also exactly, you know, we've discussed this, that it's a, like one of the, one of the reasons there's so much trend chasing and lack of originality in games is they need to make sure it is going to make money back. And guess what you can't do? You can't, well, experiment. You can't, you can't experiment. Yeah. yeah every, and it's, so it's like, there's, yeah, there's that's why they're also risk averse. And too many millions of dollars at stake. Yeah, exactly. Which is a lot of times why most of the innovation 
basically is an indie game, and then all the AAAs will be like, how can we make our version of this, you know? Nonetheless, this extreme collaboration, as Elise notes it, um, invited each member to wear many hats uh, and allowed self-expression to carry those thoughts into a reality with record efficiency. Botwood likens the production to being comparable to one of an indie title. <laughs> That's I said, like, yeah. yeah. And really, it kind of was. Uh, Norgate spoke about uh, how today in the AAA space, an entire day might be burned when trying to track down an employee for input. Just a single, like, you know. Um, wow. It's high, oh, man, that's... Oof. Not that you could get past the rules of red tape to even have this philosophy in 2023. Uh, a doc is a doc, and people are paid to follow it. Um, this would still be an on-rail shooter if they did that. <laughs> uh, fuck, they made... Like they made it to this milestone by barely even having the correct hardware to yeah, work on. Yeah. Um, it was an atypical way to approach creating an atypical game. The Wild West, and only time would tell how it, it turned out. Um, quote, backwards, or quote, anti-design was what they called it. Um, see, rather than writing the objectives first and then tailor the level to that, mm-hmm. this pivot led to the uh, the opposite. Yeah. The architecture was built. Little to no attention was given during that step. Yeah. Um, only after did a, like a starting and ending point get decided, along with enemy placement, item locations. A, like a strange positive was born from this in that there were now whole areas with no relevance of fragments to the mission. Yeah. Like it's, it felt lived in. It felt lived in, And yeah. those empty rooms, it just added to the non-linearity uh, of it. Um, you'd be free to forge your own route. Uh, it didn't matter if you didn't witness it in the motion picture. They're fundamentally, they're fundamentally separate forms of narrative immersion anyway. Um, this was active, watching as passive. And they didn't fancy to being beholden over the exact authenticity of reproducing the source material. License, adapta- no. License adaptations go best when they take liberties and expand on the story. Star Wars games, for example. Uh, GoldenEye's yeah. newly open-endedness granted players the opportunity to track every inch of those backdrops you saw in the theater. They both shared the same blueprint. This was just more. <laughs> but this attitude didn't only exist in the scenery. James Bond himself was at your will. Be a ninja lurking in the shadows or go Rambo. Who cares? It's the player's expedition now. The Heroes of Rare just provided the instruments. And the Stampers prided themselves in their hiring. Um... They wanted you to be excited, passionate, to be cool. Uh, no preconceived notions of what the medium was. Besides, these folks were too young to be jaded with video games. <laughs> it's the 90s, and the over-corporatization yeah. hadn't ruined everything yet. Yeah, no, that wouldn't... That, yeah, I would say like that was like... Probably the, we used to love hating EA because they were the first... Mm-hmm. So I'd say, like, what? 2001, 2002 is when it started to, to tip into that... Uh, that's still an innocent time, even in, in, in t- like... 2005, maybe? I still think later than that. No, but it was the start of it. It because- all started when EA shut down Renderware. <laughs> when, when was that? And made Frostbite. That would have yeah. been 2006. I, yeah, I, 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 think, I think we're still pretty safe until games as a service became a norm. I, like... I mean, you know what? Let's not because it's a long time. It it's, like, it's like I think I think that is. I think twenty thirteen to twenty fourteen is where it goes wrong. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's like I think that is like you know that is when it started but to become. I know worse. you're saying it's, it's like an actor had the yearly like yeah, you know yeah. Like, um, yeah, I was gonna say three sixty era. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so here's when we're gonna dig into some of Goldeneye's sound design. 
Um, at the helm was uh, Graham Norgate and, of course, Grant Kirkhope, uh, a Scottish-American composer and voice actor who specialized in live compositions. He taught himself to play the guitar at age 11 and is classically trained in the trumpet. He later performed in numerous bands, mainly the Little Angels, and attended the Royal College of Music. Kirkhope joined the Rare Brigade in 1995, writing tracks for Killer Instinct and parting it up with David Wise on Donkey Kong Country 2. Shout out, Bricker Bush Symphony. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's... Uh, I, so you know, many tracks. You know what? Yeah. Actually, now is a good time to to mention that story uh, about uh, Mario versus Rabbids, which oh, does he? Uh, so yeah. That? So I was listening. I I beat that game, and throughout the game, I'm listening to it. I'm just like, this is banjo kazooie music. It's like I can <laughs> hear it. Yeah. I'm like, this is perfect, and I'm just like, I'm positive. I keep hearing did, it, and I'm like, did and they I'm, get him for ukulele? So ready? Hold on. Let me okay. Yeah, sorry. I yeah. didn't know if that's right. So and I'm saying I'm like, yo, someone plagiarized. Uh, Grant oh. Kirkhope's work, and, and then, then you just I found get, out it was him. And then I get to the credits, and who the fuck made the music <laughs> was Grant Kirkhope, and I was just like, "Why?" Did That's kind of cool that you like just just from it's so dis- yes, yeah. I, it's like I, I just from hearing it, I was just like, "I, like, you oh, know, shit. that's that's him. I, you know what?" Or somebody if we have time, if we have time after this, I'm gonna. I want to do a side by side of the two tracks, and you tell me. And it's like <laughs> it's like it's so it's so distinct. So, but yeah, I, um, I, he, uh, he makes amazing music. To answer your question, I believe Ugalele was both Kirk Hope and Wise. Wow, there you go. Wow, so, wish it was a better use of their uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> their talent. Uh, Norgate actually had been at the studio a year before uh, Kirk Hope, um, starting '94 uh, after quitting a job at a local bank. He too was a composer, though more on the digital side. And along with Robin Beanland, worked on KI, DKC, and Blast Corps, uh, before being brought in to give Bond a bit of flavor as their resonant uh, synthesizer guy of the bunch. Yeah. Even hunting down the signature GoldenEye Gong sample from the movie's score to incorporate into the mixes. Yep. Uh, or Austin, edit that in for me. <laughs> the Gong? Yeah. All right, I'll see if I can find it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think, uh, I think uh, they tracked it. They asked him. Later on, he was just like, it was from some music library. Someone tracked it down. It is a pitched down tambourine, I think. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. How pitched down is that? Very pitched down, like way, way pitched down. There's an entire video on it about it on YouTube. You can look it up. <laughs> I think he even recreates the sound That's by, great. by doing himself. So yeah. this, this segues uh, perfectly into the, the gun samples, which were oh, uh, not, not a tambourine. What am I thinking of? Uh, a marimba. Oh, marimba. Yeah. Okay, that okay, that makes more. Also, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know why. Yeah. Before we get off the top of Grant Kirkhope, you know oh, what, we're not yet. Oh, I was gonna say, you know what other game he did the soundtrack for? What's that? A very important game to our podcast. Oh, um, the Kingdoms of Amalur. That's right, our first fucking episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Grant Kirkhope did the soundtrack yeah. for Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning. Good, good for him. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. It's like, listen, <laughs> listen. It's like. He's he's got lots of, and he's still doing work clearly. So it's like mm-hmm. that's that's amazing. <laughs> so you brought up the uh, those uh, audio effect libraries. Um, this was uh, a lot of the guns were like uh, retooled clips, like from those. Um, and uh, Austin edited this in as well. The silenced pistol chirp, the uh, originated from an obscure 1942 mystery drama film called Blue, White, and Perfect. A tidbit that we learned from the GameSpot sponsored Firearm Expert Reacts uh, video on the subject. So yeah. check them out. Uh, fuck, I, uh, the name of that gentleman then escapes me. I I forget. Wait. Uh, oh, the, uh, the, oh, the the yeah the yeah, channel yeah. yeah. The Goldeneye episode he does shows off the uh, real life versions of like the the Phantom and the Clob. Um, yep. That and he points out how all of the two handed weapons are 
handled with one, one arm, arm so the gun yeah. model wouldn't clip through the, your yeah. character model on screen, which yep. I didn't process before. I also, <laughs> like, I found a, I was telling Randy, I found a sound effect wiki. Yeah. Where you can click on, they have all the sound libraries. You can click on a sound and it'll tell you every game, movie, TV so show. Good. and I would get lost in that. Even wow. like internet videos that it's <laughs> been in. The, what I was feel the, like I feel like I would I would look at that uh-huh. and, and I wouldn't sleep. I, I feel know. like I'd be like dawned by that. There, the rabbit hole. there was one. The one sound effect was uh, the when you pick up armor. Oh, that is a weird one. It's it's somebody zipping up their pants, but it's sped, <laughs> it's sped up. <laughs> that makes sense. And I think like the the om- rocket launcher squeal is one I've like. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, that, that one's unusual. Uh, what was it? There's one. Yeah, I looked it up, and it was like there's only two games that have ever used it, and it was GoldenEye. Three games that have ever used it. GoldenEye, Perfect Dark, and Mortal Kombat 11. <laughs> I forget what sound that I was. I want to know where that disgusting crunch from running someone over yeah. in a tank came you know from. What? That's you, like the gnarliest thing. You know what the, the rocket launcher actually sounds like? It sounds like a firework going off. It has that like that yeah, squeal it, going up, right, scream, and I think that's screaming, I think that's what yeah. It has like a screaming sound. It's like I think that it's got to be modeled after that. I think yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, anyway, once the um, engineers had chosen what they liked, they'd properly balance the pitches and edit them into the gameplay, taking account a uh, distance to broadcast the right level of volume for proper user feedback. Uh, higher damage firearms gave more oomph, while softer-sounding guns produced less of a kick. Um, uh, but th- this wasn't all. Another component of how the game would utilize audio was in its detection system when either obeying or disobeying stealth mechanics. They'd, um, they'd basically put an invisible radius encompassing the player, and then their actions ran proximity checks sensed by the type of weapon used, rate of fire, and the ongoing amount of loud noises. Each guard had their own circle as well, and with passing time, the count on the alert clock would reset to zero. Um, those holding the controller could then be tempted to aim for single shots, preferably the heads for enemies or lenses of cameras. Rare wanted you to think before you shoot. Uh, fucking up meant it'd be tough to repair it. Bunker 2 and Archives are prime culprits of this. Um, why? Because in some missions, a sloppy bond is punished and <laughs> infinitely spawning soldiers will endlessly generate to chase after him. Even the finite bad guys uh, can clone if you're not. Yeah, you know, I think you know, uh, careful. Austin, you got to experience that firsthand. Remember I when did. I remember when I told you I'm like <laughs> the key to this is you got to keep moving. Yeah, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. unless you kill them at their spawn, they'll just keep spawning there. Right. Remember, and I told you I was like, if you go into a room, spend mo- no more than like five seconds in there. Because once the enemies start piling up, I'm talking like, we're talking like like you saw it in that level. It's like, there will be 10 guards at the yeah. at the door just shooting And he also you. played the Xbox one where sometimes it'll bug out and make more people. Make more people, <laughs> yeah. I remember, dude, I, I remember one time on Bunker 2, you go into that first room on the left there, and you were in there and you just turned around, and I'm not even joking. That like, doorway? Almost instantaneously, <laughs> like a dozen guards all on screen. Just, and it's like, yeah, don't get, <laughs> don't get tricked and caught in there, yeah. So the only surefile way to survive after that is to stay silent or, you know, once you pull that trigger, carry on. Yeah. Uh, turtling to fully exterminate an entire level isn't an option in GoldenEye. You had to move, adapt. <laughs> um, yeah. the, te- the testing continued. One night around 10 o'clock, they'd open the barn windows and blast the soundtrack from the movie Heat through Hollis's massive speakers. Man, they loved Heat. They? <laughs> it's a good movie. Um, Chris Stamper didn't react too kindly to this, but it did come with the realization when listening that after two years, 
the game was now finally enjoyable to play. Which is, I mean, is interesting because it's just like, that had to have been a magical moment because it's like, can you imagine when you're, do, you're doing all this stuff beforehand, you're like, this still isn't fun, but then finally you, you hear the, people cheering and laughing and then, and, you fi- like, and then finally you do something and it clicks and you're like, oh, this is really good. It's, it's, like, it's like, you got to be really disciplined to just like, you got to keep going because like, can you imagine if you're halfway through and you're like, this sucks, toss it. It's like, <laughs> like, no, you get to the end first and then decide yeah. whether it's fun or not. Like Doke and uh, I'm sure many industry vets would back this sentiment has said that typically a video game feels awful for about 80% of development. That's, yeah. And as a former tester of sorts, I don't disagree. Yeah, I uh, bet. The deadlines were flying by, although they break through to the degree that everyone in the office wanted to pick up the paddles, as Chris Nudaboom says. <laughs> <laughs> pick up the paddles. <laughs> But yeah, uh, to just to stabilize the timeline here, Tomorrow Never Dies, the successor to the GoldenEye film, was wrapping post-production up and due out soon, meaning that tinkering had to stop. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> Wait, just stop and put a narrator here and say, it didn't. It's like, you still <laughs> yeah, have to add multiplayer. Yeah, exactly. You just add the, add the rest to develop a narrator. <laughs> Nintendo themselves had already halted their funding three months ago because of the delays. Wait, uh, did you say they halted their funding? Yes. Rare being the chads they were, hid this from the team and paid them on their own. <laughs> they could, okay. They couldn't is. have a morale drop when nearing the finish line. And the stampers had faith. Okay, that is insulting their athletes from any bad news was noble. I missed that part. Mm-hmm. That is actually incredible. Yeah. That is that is okay. That is actually very extraordinary. Yeah, that's that's really cool. They didn't want to let them know the funding r- r- ran out, and so it's like they just paid them out of pocket. Yep. that's wow. <laughs> Despite this, though, I'm afraid the story still comes bundled with its darker moments. Um, by 1997, the Nintendo 64 was out for sale in Japan and the Americas. More on that in a minute. Crunch was instituted in full swing. This endeavor was over budget and late as fuck. Uh, that February, the pressure got so intense to Addie Smith that he formally left the company. Yeah, Pre- that's, previously that's... he had visited the hospital twice for stress-related panic attacks while engrossed in working on Donkey Kong Country 2. Yep. Um, and that's and that's why why I need to caveat. It's like yeah. burnout is was still a thing. Just because you're you want to like be there, and it's like, or maybe some people were like, no, it was great the entire time. Doesn't mean the entire team was having a good time with it. And it's like that's a shame that that's how that turned out. Yeah, I agree. And it's like I, I I feel for him. It's like, dude, if you're going to the hospital due to work related and, stress, and he like, doesn't appear yeah. to hold any grudges and and expresses that his resignation ultimately had to happen to protect his health, but. Yeah. Hope you're doing all right, Addy. We thank you. <laughs> um, full now, name, full yeah. name, I believe it's uh, Adrian Smith. Adrian yeah. Smith. Yes, Adrian Smith. Okay. So I, he's credited as Addy in the book, but in the, believe it or not, in the game, it, it gives his full name. Really? Adrian. I, mean, I, I don't know if that's just what they prefer to be. Yeah, interesting. Um, so uh, I'm now going to try and uh, hoist ourselves out of that downer. Let's wrap 64. Um so with Sega having given them a run for their money in the 16-bit gen and the PS1 also fucking killing it, uh, Nintendo stayed convinced that this machine would trump any of their competitors who dare mess with them. I'm going to read this straight from Elise's book because it's just too amazing to not. Yeah. Ads were seriously printed for their new console saying, it's the best thing I've ever seen, quote, God. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, 
That is <laughs> what the fuck, yo. This goes back to Dope. you remember <laughs> that's some nineties marketing. Yo, thank you. I was about to say it's like we've nineties uh, marketing is something that we've returned to a couple times, and it is like oh, it's so it's good. like someone just snorted cocaine. Yes, and just like everything is is just in mm-hmm. off the walls and we've talked we've talked about a few of them on our episodes and the, like the 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 commercial for the virtual boy where it's like a giant killer robot in the apocalypse and Mm -hmm. then what was the engage one it was like start a fight with someone on the subway or something i don't but it was yes yes yeah yeah it it was really ridiculous how do you trump sega does what nintendo don't (laughs) they started yeah yeah, they god disagrees man (laughs) do you remember uh oh god what was was it the Atari Jaguar had had some of those? That was wild... the classroom one, right? Yes. Where, yeah. Oh God, man! It's like there's too many to name. There's, there's just so... there's just so many bonkers video game ads in the '90s, <laughs> and it's like it was the it was it was the Attitude Era. It was yeah. like you had to have that attitude. The video game, the best video game ad of all time, are the Ratchet and Clank ones. So... <laughs> oh my God, they're excellent. The one, the one where. Uh, it's the like the little remote control dummy. It drives out to the street, and then the car runs it over, and the kid's mom is like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> uh, yeah. Dude, they fire the, the they, they turn fire, into a chicken. Yeah, they turn the dude into a chicken. Dude, they fire the rocket, just destroys the dude's house behind <laughs> they it. They have the big magnet. It just pulls like a bunch of trailers. It's like, oh man, God, oh, those are so great. Um, so. This was um, what was intended to be a, a Christmas 95 launch uh, for the console turned into a holiday 96 release. Uh, Europe and Australia were still anxiously waiting while the Saturn and PlayStation had the leg up um, from beating them to shelves. A uh, hundred million dollar promo campaign would get them to where they needed to be. Um, promotional materials kept assuring customers that being patient will be worth it. And many diehard Nintendo kids like me obliged. Um when uh, when it did ship in September of 1996 in the U.S., you had Super Mario 64 and Pilot Wing 64. Pilot Wing 64. I think. I mean, uh, hey, one of those is a masterpiece. But yeah, I think I previously described that game as me being trauma bonded to that game. <laughs> yeah, because it's like because Pilot, Pilot Wings was also a launch thing for like the SNES and 3D. It's always meant to showcase. It was. Like, it, was it was Pilot Wings is always a tech demo, and it's like. It's probably... Do you play a lot of Pilot Wing 64? Oh, yeah. A lot. <laughs> and it's like... It's like, what, what else are you going to... Yeah. It's like, what is he going to do? It's, like, it's actually genuinely... I will actually say it's it's probably the 64 and probably most of the, all the Pilot Wing games. A little forgotten yeah. by the time. But, man, it was fun. Yeah. It was, But it was very hard. That was... Because that was the thing. It was kind of out of my... Like, my brother played that when I was little because, like, I yeah. couldn't... I never really, it's, like... It's... So, we as kids, it's one of those... Those you just bang your head against it until you figure no. it out. So it was one of those games like you didn't like, you know, as an adult, if I, could, if I can't do something, I practice it and improve. As a kid, you don't really have that mentality. So really what we did was you basically, there's like some of the missions are much, much easier than others. And so we just prayed to find one of those missions and just, you can, because you can skip certain levels. It's like uh, you have tiers and you just need a certain amount of points yeah. each. And so that's that's what we did. I, later on, I went back and, and I beat the entire... But it was... See, I, I was amping up because uh, Shadows of the Empire, I think, came like a f- in launch windows, like a few months out. Yeah, which is also... That's also a tough game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At least it's Star Wars. Yeah. Um, Back when Star Wars, you know, there was, was a different relationship to it in 96, 97. But, uh, but uh, and so this, um, this strategy did all right out of the gate. Um, like... Getting those uh, heightened expectations led them to sell 350,000 units in just three days. 
By the fourth month, it had beat out the numbers that PlayStation had tallied in a year. Uh, of course, they'd sprint past them later on, but, you know. Yeah. Um, speaking of the bar, this was following the fucking SNES as well. It was true 3D yeah. with two yeah. to four times the processing power of the PS1. There were four controller ports, no loading, a think- stupid rumble pack, minimal memory card requirements. And stuff that demanded those was bull. Yeah, and it's like, I mean, obviously the PlayStation, like, yeah, absolutely destroyed the N64 in terms of sales. What really differentiated us, it's like, you know, we didn't care ourselves because the thing that differentiated was the four controller ports. Mm -hmm. You could play it with three other friends. No multi-tap here. And so that's what it was. So it's like, none of my friends, maybe they own PlayStations, but if I, we never played them when we were over their house, if they even owned them. We all own Nintendo 64 because you wanted to play. I did. I I had that. So it was like kind of like, um, you know, just exactly what you want as a kid where I had, I grew up, my friend down the street, she had the Sega and I had the, 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 the Super Nintendo. And then like, you know, my other buddy down the street got the PlayStation. I got the N64. Actually, that's a lie. Cause I'm, um, this is like, I realize it's like, no, actually one of my neighbors did have a PlayStation Okay. Uh, For parties, though, the N64 was... Yeah, well, that's what I was just thinking. Was like, this room. was kind of... We started hanging out with him way more often. This is after we didn't... We, we kind of moved away from, like, you know, just hanging out with whoever you're in school with. And it's like, I can't ignore that because that is how I literally played through the first three Resident Evil games, like, three yeah. times each and played Metal <laughs> Solid and all that stuff. So it's like, yeah, I, I shouldn't say none of my friends had it because one of my friends did, and we spent a lot of time with it. Yeah. Do you know anyone that had a 3DO? You. Oh man, damn That was better than anything I could have came up with Uh, So the landscape was steady Uh, This raised the question then Where the fuck are all the games? Uh, Within just this initial period The momentum began to slow down for the big N As the choice of going cartridge Had caused a lack of readily available software The hardware was there But the fact was that Developing for the PlayStation Was far, far easier it had the space by using discs, increased audio fidelity, and was not. It wasn't as complex to build on, which we talked about we in did. the PlayStation episode. Mm-hmm. Therefore, many once tightly aligned third parties, such as Square Enix, Capcom, and Konami, were beginning to defect to Sony, enticed by the CD format for their latest installments in Final Fantasy, Mega Man, and Castlevania, prior staples of the NES and Super NES family. Former N64 Today founder. Martin Watts described the system as being modern and antiquated at the same time. Modern? Yeah, I mean, that kind of describes a lot of Nintendo's consoles. Modern <laughs> yeah, and good point. It's like it's like they're always like they're always trying to do something new rather than push performance, but because of that, every con every console that's come out since the Nintendo 64, it's like just not as powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it didn't help that Nintendo also had strict licensing regulations and punishing royalty policies. By GoldenEye's launch, their book of releases was crawling to 50 or so titles versus the PlayStation's 1,000 plus. That, I think that was one of the facts that I, I bookmarked yeah. in like the thing because that blew my mind. That I was like, I was and like. she's right. I looked at like at the end of the generation, it was 400 against like 4,400. Yeah. yeah. Like it's. No. And it's like, I mean. But still, though, it's just like usually when Compact you discs were cheap. <laughs> when you think about a console, okay, it's like yeah, there's launch games, and it's like, but by the end of the first year, it's like you got a pretty good selection of it. It's like fifty. That's that usually is, when it's ramping up. Yeah. That fifty games, and it's just like wow, that is like yeah. I was like that's that's minuscule. What? 
Not that this was at all a sign of quality. Sony relished uh, their foray into commercial tie-ins and sequels while Nintendo clung to their in-house projects and top-notch partners. Uh, Paradigm, Angel, Treasure, LucasArts, and Leaders of the Pack, Rare. <laughs> and Yeah, in terms of sales, uh, the Nintendo's library really, you know, really hurt it. From a consumer perspective, it made the games that were on there that much more memorable. It's yeah. like, I, I, you know, I would probably struggle to name... You know, even like 50 PlayStation titles, maybe 100, but it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like it's got 45. And the ones that stood out really stood out, but yeah. it's like, in terms of, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of, like uh, the the ratio, there's a lot of shovelware on PlayStation. It's like, I can I can think of like a, do- like a dozen like gems in the Nintendo 64, probably two dozen right off the bat, and it's like they stand out that much more. And P- so PS1 was is like analogous to the... the NES or the like the NES, I feel it was more yeah. of a it was more of a gated community sort of feel. It was like it like yes, Nintendo shot themselves in the foot by making it that much more difficult to publish on it. But as a result, the stuff that is there, it feels more curated. Yeah, it's 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 because yeah. and the stampers were loyal as fuck. Uh, just take a gander at their their sixty four catalog, excluding Goldeneye. There was Ki Blast Corps, Diddy Kong Racing, the Banjo Kazooie games, Jet Force Gemini. Fucking perfect dark and conquers bad, bad for a day. They dominated several of the highest rated spots for that console's library. Oh yeah, six of those you, were in uh, the ten best selling. Forgot one. No, I didn't. Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong sixty four. Wow. And so yeah. So how <laughs> many? So wait. So how many? How many is that all together then? What's that? What's the count then for Rare's Nintendo sixty four library? Uh, let's see. Mm-hmm. Well, 11? 11? Yeah. Yeah. And you said Hold on, I'll, let me do that again. I'll, I'm gonna do, I'll do it on air this time. Let's yeah, see. do it. GoldenEye, Killer Instinct, Blast Core, Diddy Kong Racing, Banjo-Kazooie, Banjo-Tooie, Jet Force Gemini, Perfect Dark, Conker's Bad Fur Day, Monkey Kong, there's more. <laughs> and, um... Is that it? I think, I think that's, that's it. it. You got Diddy Kong Racing? I did. Okay. I think, so, yeah, I think that's it. Is it 11? That's 10. 10? Yeah. So it's like, and you said six of them are in the top yeah. 10? Okay, I just like I would just they like beat Nintendo out. at their own fucking game. yeah. You might as well have called it the Rare sixty four. Jesus, <laughs> yeah. it's like, dude, if you if your games occupy, why do you think they're not going to do an N sixty four mini or classic edition? Oh It'd yeah, be missing too much shit. You're right. It's just it, you're right. It's just not yeah. All those titles is like, dude, if you occupy more top ten spots than the people who publish the fucking console, it's like it's mm. yeah, yeah. That's but it. those other top ten spots, though, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. It, it goes without saying. Um, but that's Rocket said. Robot on Wheels. <laughs> Iggy's Wrecking Balls. Glover. <laughs> Beetle Adventure. Uh, Quest oh, no, 64. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they still weren't able to close the gap between hardware sales. The PS1 moved a whopping 124.9 million units. Um, the N64 arrived at a mere 33 million comparison. Sony emerged as kings. How many did the Dreamcast sell? Uh, 12, right? It was it was more than the Wii U. It was. But not by much. Um, but, uh, Wow, so the, the Wii U sold less than a Dreamcast. All the, all the... No, no, yeah, it did. All <laughs> the geniuses at the bottom of the ladder. You got the Dreamcast, the Wii U, the PlayStation Vita, the GameCube. <laughs> the original Xbox, yeah. Yeah. You're right. Uh, you forgot <laughs> about the Virtual Boy. No, I didn't. <laughs> the CDI. <laughs> um, We're talking about, uh... 
game consoles, not headache machines. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So the the Sega and Nintendo, like you know how they were occupied, dick duking each other out during the early nineties. Like that yeah, was that was done at this point. Um, so he came in and was just like, "This war is over. I win." And they're <laughs> like, "Okay." <laughs> Although without Rare and Goldeneye, it may have been even worse. Doke attributes their survival to them as well as their retainment of the Western market. And killer apps were everything back then. Yep. Um, what did you have that your rival didn't? Yep. Sega's drive to battle the big end was their diversity and appealing to gamers across multiple age ranges. This included the older crowd who may have grown up with Mario and the like, but then desired hipper and more mature experiences. This tactic sort of worked, frankly. And um, Nintendo's hyper-focus on only kids was a reason for their loss of that demo. Like, the, that demographic. Like, it's it's... Still kind of is, to be honest. I mean, yeah. I mean, they even said, uh, I want to say, it was before the launch of the Wii. They were answering, it's like, why are you not trying to aim for the mature? It's like, Nintendo will always be a toy company for kids. And it was just yeah. like, that was as late as the Wii. And it was like, I mean, let's face it, they're still kind of, I don't know, like, if that's like, they, they're still thinking about that. But it's like, eh, it's kind of the direction they keep going in. So I, I know they try, I know they try and diversify, but yeah. it's if like, you have to. Flavor, I mean, that's what makes that stuff so like you're like, whoa, yeah. if you have to put when bitter, it does happen. if you have to put bitter in on your cartridges because you're afraid of kids swallowing, them, you're, making, <laughs> you're making a toy. You're making a toy. Kids don't swallow <laughs> Blu-rays. But Rare deviated from the norm. Uh, GoldenEye 007 was proof that the 64 wasn't wasn't just a toy. Um, it was an entertainment rig for children, teens, and adults. Um, you know, making the Sony fans and PC users jealous for once. Uh, yeah. It's reductive to label that era for them as, as disappointing when genre-defining hits like fucking Ocarina and Smash Brothers were there. But it is, like, interesting. Like, it's like GoldenEye was kind of, like, growing up with us. So, like, it's, you know, yeah. like, that's I mean, it's I, special. I bought my N64 because of two games. Star Fox? No, see if you can guess them. I'll give you a hint. One of them is what we're talking about. <laughs> okay. Uh, what? Wait. Goldeneye. Goldeneye. Oh, yeah. Okay. And that'll sell anybody. Was it? Wait, sorry. It was Rogue it, Squadron. It, no. <laughs> you talking about N sixty four games? Mm-hmm. Uh, Goldeneye and uh, oh, is it the game that you beat like twenty three times? No, I bought my N sixty four in nineteen ninety seven to play Goldeneye. Ocarina of Time didn't come out until nineteen ninety eight. Oh, uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. So this is a 97 game then. Cruising USA. Torok. It might have been 1998, but it was out before Ocarina of Time. Okay. Multiplayer. Uh, Diddy Kong Racing. Mario Kart. Mario Kart. Randy gets it. Mm. You were close. Diddy Kong Racing okay. was better. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm actually on Randy's side. I like Diddy Kong Racing. Yeah, better. everybody yeah. is. You're all wrong. <laughs> because it's on the right well, side. Well, of you're probably also one of those people that thinks Double Dash is one of the better Mario Kart's. I actually it's one of the more interesting Mario Kart's. That's I for actually sure. okay, yo, I'm I, I'm sorry if this is an unpopular opinion, but I fucking hate Double Dash. Thank what you. the fuck is Mario you know 64 what? is Mario Kart 64 is better. You can't land any of the other ones. Uh, so you know, I don't no, I don't hate Double Dash, but I don't think I don't think it's uh, I don't know, I think it's on the, on the I don't. It's hate. not as good as DS eight or seven. That's yeah. Or it's, well, six, no, seven's or forgettable. Sixty four. So I, I mean, it's the one than thing Mario Kart Wii. I think it's the third best one. So everything's the, better than Mario Kart so Wii. So the advanced. I think the one thing that distinguishes it is that just the the sixteen player thing, right? Or or the, the yeah, the player. land. That's what he said. Yeah, yeah, that is what that is cool. That is awesome. That's awesome. And and like, come on, the two. Ah, all right, returning back to the core subject, uh, uh, the Bond team was in their final months of development, 
finishing touches were getting done. Dam, for instance, got considerable reworks in order for it to serve the players a proper tutorial for the mechanics to come. Um, feedback testing from employees and Nintendo of America were excellent. Not that this was met without questions. Uh, one criticism, though, was its difficulty. There were no checkpoints, no way to restore health. Body armor was nearly absent in Double O Agent. Um, the added harder objectives were tough, um, but the replayability was more apparent than ever. They constructed the objectives not by starting with basics and adding extra. The finished set was the Double O Agent, and then they made things easier by subtracting the, the object, making taking away some of the more difficult ones. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was, which I thought was brilliant. Because, that is. Because that is the right way to design it. It's like, don't make it feel like the objectives in Double O Agent are tacked on. Make it, and that is one of the more, more in, most interesting things about, about GoldenEye, what makes it so replayable. When you do it on Secret and Double O Agent, it feels like you're getting more of the mission. It's like you're, yeah, like, you're seeing more of the you're game. You're seeing more of the game, and it's like, that is like... That really, I think, probably what drove me in middle, no, not middle school, high school. When me and you played it, one of the driving factors was I couldn't beat really anything besides agent or maybe secret agent. But as a high schooler, yeah, I, was able, I was able it's to explore the game better. on double O agent. I, it, 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 we talk about this all the time where it's just like, I wish that that was how difficulty was handled in more games. Yeah. Like rather than like just being like, oh, we'll make the enemies have more health and do more damage to you. Yeah. It's like, that's not like, yeah. And it's like, so as in high school, it's like, you're were, not going to find people who want to program stuff. That's not going to get seen. There were all these cool objectives I couldn't do as a kid. Now as a, in high school, I could go and be oh, like, it feels like a whole different experience. It feels like yeah. a whole different game. And it's <laughs> like, that's, I think uh, a lot of fun. And it's like, that is the right way to do things. No, for sure. The next push they had gotten was a conversation completely independent of that. The violence. The violence. It's bloody imagery had to get backtracked uh, to gain approval from the execs upstairs. However, nobody wanted a repeat of the Mortal Kombat censorship controversy that we covered before. Go listen. Man, you guys just like... It's that like, was lauded over them by their gorier Genesis counterpart. So much of the discussion always returns to that, those congressional hearings. Mm -hmm. It's just like, it's... it's Yeah. Still, it's an echo and then just forever. Yeah, and it's... Yeah. <laughs> uh, some of this was the culture... FPSs weren't really a thing in Japan. Uh, their gun laws were stricter. Their military presence smaller. Um, I guess thanks to us. Uh, uh, here, the combatants were... Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, just the way you said that, that line, I was like, wait, oh, oh, oh. Um, here, the combatants were humans, not demons or monsters. Um, uh, or Nazis. Uh, so, Eastern games also tended to embrace a cartoon or anime aesthetic rather than realism. Um, they weren't after the shooter trend overseas. Miyamoto himself commented on GoldenEye's more graphic content by, at first, supporting it. That wasn't until he saw it in practice. Um, see, the 007 films are popular worldwide. However, they never broke into R-rated territory. License to Kill was pushing it yeah. and required several edits um, as the PG-13 was essential to the IP's Bible of Rules. Yeah, um, they it, needed that accessibility. Yeah, yep. its N64 adaptation needed to follow suit. A T for Teen label from the ESRB was the only acceptable rating, nothing beyond. To secure that and avoid the M, Goldeneye went through a couple calibrations. Yeah. <laughs> At one point in production... Enemies' chests could explode in a shower of blood, <laughs> splattering the environment. I think someone in the book mentions like it was like 
It was like you could shoot off someone's head and a literal fountain of blood <laughs> yeah, shot out. It's, it's like, man, what did that look like? They have to wait till perfect dark to flex those muscles. Yeah, um, yeah. Smith did admit that it was comedically gratuitous. Yeah, uh, firing the RCP ninety into a character gave off the impression that you had sliced them in half. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, you know what? It, it's funny. It's like you know, I wouldn't have taken it out because of the violence, but it sounds distracting. Mm. It sounds like it would have gotten yeah. in the way. It's uh, yeah. this isn't even in my script, but like. We also have to remember that um, the ESRB was newly a thing in the United States. Japan and uh, did not have a zero yet as a rating system, oh, and wow. that's why Resident Evil was. You know, we did that flip where like they got the the uncut ones first. Now we do. Now we do. Um, and they don't. But uh, I don't even think Peggy was started. Uh, so it's I mean, like they're in the UK. So they're like, eh, well, I can yeah, do whatever. This is also still a problem. We had a conversation about this earlier today. About Jedi Survivor, they're right. adding dismemberment yes. back, and Disney finally gave in yeah, and let fuck them. Fuck you, Disney. <laughs> let them use lightsaber dismemberment about again. Time. Bring it yeah. back to Jedi Outcast. I was gonna say, yeah, Jedi Outcast is. <laughs> it's like, come on, Disney. Yeah. Just the OG gore art consisted of forties textures with the effects similar to when Hollywood uses squib charges. Uh, they tried swapping the red for other colors, like kind of like RE2 did on the N64, but it looked terrible. Yeah. Um, instead, they toned down the uh, amount by around 20%, keeping the staining on the clothes. The staining on the clothes. And, and supplemented think... the splat marks with uh, a tiny yellow spark for when you struck people with bullets. That, I, you know what? I think it works perfectly fine. I think mm-hmm. the red marks on the clothes is like, you know, I... you... Yeah. I think it works better for the IP. Yeah. Yeah. and Because yeah. bo- Bond doesn't... There's no fountains of blood. Yeah, yeah really not, in Bond. Well, they they can they know when to cut away. You can't yeah, cut away in a game. Exactly. But it's also it's like I think that that you know it's, it's it allows it to be distinct from Perfect Dark because Perfect Dark gets to be that raw yeah. and gritty and bloody thing and yeah. you know and, and Perfect Dark it's Perfect Dark guy was M. Oh yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyways, uh, President Howard Lincoln, uh, his concerns hadn't subsided. Um, this still wasn't reminiscent of their company brand. Uh, upon viewing footage of the supposed protagonist delivering postmortem damage, he stormed out of the room and nearly threatened cancellation over it, according to Botwood. Um, and they weren't alone in this opinion either. A visit from the suits at MGM left them cautious too. Mm. Despite the evidence that our favorite hero spy executes more people in the GoldenEye movie than any prior or succeeding Bond flick to date. Oh, it's the highest kill count. Not huh? even Craig did it. Wow. <laughs> um, excessive sanitation uh, wasn't the answer. Um, so compromises were reached. Bodies had to vanish shortly after death which was fine for freeing up memory. Yeah. Again, they'd have to wait for Perfect Dark to keep that. I'm actually even surprised that was even part of the violence agreement. I Even as, like, even as a kid... Even, well, today, the ESRB, like, always specifically lists post-mortem damage. That's a large one. So, yeah, so even as a kid... So, uh, <laughs> but before we, uh, soldier of fortune, before we, uh, we migrated the games down to the basement because my, our parents were tired of us taking up the, the <laughs> TV upstairs. Yeah, I went through that. We played our video games on the upstairs TV and we were, my dad, my dad has seen us play this game and we're like, yeah. we're like, look at how many people like we shot before. And it's cause there's like a mountain and they, they were gone. I was like, Oh, yeah. they disappeared. And then we could, you could leave. If you stand there, you can watch them disappear. Yeah. 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 And it's my, pretty quick, which and, happens in a lot of, uh, light gun games too. And so my dad pointed out there, he's like, yeah, they need, they, they need to free up 
like re- like memory and resources yeah. if you just like because if you just keep adding bodies, it's going to start stuttering. And so even as a kid, I I thought it was a, a rare, memory issue. Uh, sir. I know that in um in Perfect Dark, there's a limit that you can eventually reach, but uh, with bodies, but like the bodies that are like there, you can just keep like yeah. <laughs> gunning at them and just right. endless blood. That's the, the talking about their ESRB rating is very funny. Did I ever tell you the GoldenEye story? Why I bought an N64 because of GoldenEye? You were at a cousin's house? Yeah, or? my cousins yeah. had an N64 and they had it in the uh like in the family room with the TV. Yeah. And then my one cousin bought GoldenEye and my aunt was like, "Nope, you're not playing this." <laughs> and so my uncle bought a second N64 yeah. and hooked it up to a TV in another room and then they used to go in there and play Goldeneye. Wow. <laughs> awesome. That's incredible. It's I it, the, That's actually a, that's a that's one of those stories no, well, that because then I went over and my cousin wanted to show me Goldeneye and that's when my aunt found out about it and uh, then I think I don't away. remember if I bought it. Yeah. Or if if I borrowed it or he gave it to me but I, See, he wasn't allowed to have it's it. It's funny. My dad was just psyched that I had an interest in James Bond, mm-hmm. but it's like my, the first instance that I played Golden. I was actually a, at a Toys R Us. It was just uh, it was like a kiosk setup, and I played uh, Damn. And it's interesting to think that there was just like a first person shooter on display at a at a Toys at R a Us. Toy Star, yeah. Like, yeah, where I'm like you know seven years old. Um, this wasn't enough to totally please Miyamoto, though. In fact. He was so upset that he'd uh, fax suggestions, many of them silly, to the crew for further changes. Oh, here um, it comes. I know this story. <laughs> there was, quote, so good. too much point-blank killing, and he didn't wish to stand behind Again. a, quote, murder simulator. Again, with that Again, term. point-blank killing. <laughs> what, is it, what does distance matter? Point-blank killing. I guess Miyamoto is a big fan of Sniper Elite. He's, yeah. he's probably fine with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's it's okay. Yeah, he wanted them to make it back on rails so they could use the super scope. <laughs> um, in a in an effort to alleviate the tone, he thought to include an ending credits cutscene where James would meet everyone that he had dispatched throughout the campaign at a hospital and shake their hands. And shake their hands. It's like the it's like the Metal Gear Solid Three level. Yeah, the end when you go through the river and you see the souls of everybody you killed. Dude, I killed a lot of people. Like it's oh, it's yeah. like even if the heli- like you see the helicopter violence. Yeah, too, dude. Yeah, even yeah, because it was like I'm like, when were those there? And then so you realize it's he shot down a helicopter, <laughs> yeah. and it's like, well, logically it was being piloted. They better put them in there. It's it like, wow, dude. I mean, that's the that's the <laughs> level of detail that makes those games charming. But anyway, <laughs> so this this whole hospital thing, it was to show that none of the brutality was real. But all in act, um, it was a performance similar to the theater curtain call framing device in Super Mario Brothers Three. Yeah, um, I, I do would lo- I, I got a part of the reason that the Miyamoto story and the shaking hands in the hospital is so funny is because, like, it is the most ridiculous suggestion. Ridiculous, yeah. But he, I know he was sincere about it. He thought oh, yeah. it was a genuinely like this will fix the problem. Like yeah. it's like which is like the most. It's just so like it's just so <laughs> absurd that it's just like. Like what goes through his mind? Like, yeah, so it's no, like how are you even... getting that fax? Like, you want us to to what? <laughs> yeah, it's it's it feels very Miyamoto in my <laughs> opinion. It's that's that's just. Uh, the, but Hollis then surmounted a, a genius sort of middle territory uh, with the introduction of the quote unquote meet the cast segment that yep. opened and closed the the you know yep. the adventure. Uh, this sequence told you that they were fictional people. You know, actors. Actors. It was fine. Yeah, and essentially, it's funnily enough, it was like, 
in order to like because they're because it's like they're not like normally in a cast credits you list the role and then you know the person the the person who played it yeah in those credits it doesn't they, say the actors well, no it but. no it says it says the character name and then the role they play yes so James yeah. Bond is 007, 007. yeah <laughs> yeah right. Natalia is a satellite programmer and yeah. it's just like it's funny that it's like it's weird yeah yeah Alex it's just, Trevelyan is 006. it's 006, yeah. yes and it's like uh what do you call it it's like uh uh. Uh, Arkady Aramov is Russian general. Yeah, it's like ex AGB agent. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that is that's funny. Miyamoto's last note though had to do with minimizing casualties of nonviolent NPCs, a constructive critique that led to the uh, already discussed mission goals um, that could fail you if you otherwise violated them. Uh, Nintendo might not have understood Bond the way they did, but the insight was valuable in crafting the game's lighthearted spirit. Doki even claims that uh, the origins of the sniper rifle came from it. Fatalities at a further distance were less troublesome to the publisher. No knives. Just bullets and scopes. Bullets, yeah. <laughs> uh, so manufacturing was right around the corner, except uh, one key ingredient was still missing. <laughs> now, now, oh, wow. Yeah. Which is split screen fucking multiplayer death matches. It's like, man, it's like we're like getting towards the end of this episode and it's like now then, yeah. the multiplayer gets <laughs> right. in. Uh, Goldeneye staying power wouldn't be anywhere near what it was without it. Uh, this added bonus feature skyrocketed an already fantastic product into a legendary one. And it almost wasn't even a thing. Uh, where would sleepovers have been? College students would have spent more hours studying. Uh, horrible. Um, oh yeah, of course. So, yeah, uh, shooters on PC um, by here were, uh, you know, dabbling with online, but that wasn't the same. Having four friends sit together with their own POV, access to yours, uh, was never approached like this before. Like, that never did that, like, was this, I can't think of anything that tackled, like, individual four-player split screen, especially in... I'm really trying to, I'm really trying to think, it's like, what, yeah, it was this, wait a second, was this also the first four-player, no. That, I mean, there was... Mario Kart? That was four players, when did Mario... That's four-player split screen. Yeah, yeah, it is. And when Uh, did that come out? Before Goldeneye. Yeah, 96, it might have been early 97. Yeah, but and, and I, I was more thinking about from a uh, as a shooter, like as a first person. Oh, as a first person, yeah, first person shooter without a doubt, because Turok did not have any multiplayer. No, no, no. Uh, and then it was like I think I mean if Doom or Quake, they it's like no, the, they did not. And Doom like, on PS One at LAN. <laughs> but you can oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, Halo and Gears of War devs declared its significance. You know that. But where did the idea come from? Longer days in the rare office were riddled with network sessions of competitive doom on their workstations. Um, then they got a taste of the local joy after a copy of Mario Kart 64 showed up on their doorstep. Like we said, it was indisputable that multiplayer would make the game more more fun. More fun, yeah. Um, an activity that ranked even above both Doom and Mario Kart in their blowing off of uh, you know yeah. their, their after hours like enjoyment was none other than. Super Bomberman, Super, Bomberman, yeah. Super Nintendo. Which, by the way, and you know, speaking of Mario Kart 64, um, that was... Super aside, Bomberman's great. So aside from GoldenEye, that was also like the neighborhood game. I don't remember if we got into it before or after GoldenEye or whatever, but it's like at one point, whenever friends came over the house, it was always Mario Kart. I played so much four-player split-screen of that. But then eventually, then it was GoldenEye. Yeah. It's like you kind of go through phases as kids. Yeah, yeah no, you're and right. And there was a Pokemon phase, but, and, and they would just kick it to, to fucking Bomberman. Uh, they hosted tournaments. Controllers got hurled in anger. It's, uh, <laughs> it's cartridge getting chucked out the window was just the epiphany they needed. They had to recreate that scale of emotion. 
Whoa, <laughs> the cartridge got chucked out the window? Yeah. I forgot that detail. Damn, <laughs> that is, dude, that is that is what we call rage quit. Holy <laughs> yeah. shit. So the will was there, but this shit was ready to go gold here. Um, any fantasy early on to produce such a mode was dropped when they didn't even know how many ports the system would rock. Yeah. Uh, plus, they were facing deadlines. Another delay was not in the cards. Uh, the stamper said, under no account is anyone permitted to work on a multiplayer mode. Um, this isn't the time for extras. Well, to the benefit of us all, Hollis didn't listen, and uh, <laughs> the uh, under the you know under the radar kind of asked one of his designers to see what they could do with the concept. Yeah, I think he was. I think didn't he bring Steve Ellis on specifically? Just be like, yo, just come in here under the radar. Yep. You can get this shit done and working. Yeah. And yeah, keep going. No, so. you're right. A man named Steve Ellis, yeah. uh, who we haven't spoke much on yet, as he was the final member hired aboard. Yes, that was it. Um, he was fresh out of school and had been programming since eight years old. Uh, at nine, he fucking started attending college courses while coding for the Amiga and ZX Spectrum. Uh, limitations were his bread and butter into problem solving. Um, before this task, his role in GoldenEye was optimization. Gotcha. Texture, compression, microcode. Yeah. Uh, he's been made it functional. And also the person who snuck in a playable Spectrum emulator inside the game. Okay, yeah. Along with a... 10 ROMs. <laughs> Just didn't know if the hardware could handle it. Yeah, okay, so he, was, he wasn't he was hired for, for the role, but I remember he was a late yeah, joiner. Yeah. yeah, and Rare would disable that uh, pre-launch, but the, uh, oh, the, the homage to the studio's history does live on in the files. So, okay, <laughs> here's the bigger question is, I know that it lives on in the files, and yeah. they disabled it. I mean, is it accessible in any way if you... I think people have reverse-engineered it. That's what I'm saying, which also, it, it begs the question, um, I mean, now we have Rare Replay, yeah. and we can play the Spectrum games, but it's like, I mean, I've never really seen any videos about doing that. Like, one would think that, like, that would be an interest in, like, for yeah. a retro game. And it's like, I, I never really hear anybody talk about that. It's, um... It's like, I remember when Animal Crossing came out on the GameCube, and that was kind of crazy to see NES games, like, emulated yeah. on, like, you know, like, like on their official console. Like, that was, that was kind of crazy. But this is 97, and then, like, a ZX Spectrum game, like, it, it's wild. But uh, with Botwood by his side, him and Ellis got the multiplayer running in only six weeks. Six weeks. And at that pace, it was told to be, quote, the work of a magician. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, really, truly, it's like they had enough trouble optimizing single player. And it's like, really, it's like you think like it's like, well, a lot of the assets were done. And it's just like, can you imagine the work they had to put into getting the four camera thing? It's like, I, I that's to me, it, it is it is a work of a magician. Because I think about it, and it's just like they. I don't know how the fuck. Yeah. I don't know how they did and, it. And soon there were there were spawn points for players, uh, weapons, armor, and ammo, complex stages like complex yeah uh the process was tedious uh backgrounds and polygons were stripped down to maintain speed uh Edmonds jumped in to alter any conflicting animations steadying the frame rate was a gargantuan cliff to climb uh technically 12 human models could be rendered on screen and the four windows at once if the conditions were right um it was crazy taxing for the 64 oh yeah um, uh, it's like if you had a gunfight in a single room you were dropping down to like five frames <laughs> it was there was nothing. <laughs> But when Ellis presented what the three had to the rest of the staff, it was a done fucking deal, man. Goldeneye would ship with four-player death matches. Uh, the whole office was instantly addicted. Oh, yeah. Not just the whole office, but I think visitors. Uh, yeah, they would call in. Yeah, you know, like I think. I can't remember. left and right. Any any mission from the campaign was considered. However, many were too large and ran too slow. Um 
Uh, a few held up with two people, but not three or four. Uh, other environments were entirely custom. Uh, qualifiers were next. Bomberman inspired them to incorporate mines and the split screen setup made covertly watching your opponents as much as the experience as controlling yourself. Uh, modes based on Bond's past outings got put in. Man with the Golden Gun, where you must become the Man with the Golden, yeah, gun. The golden gun. You Only Live Twice, where you Only Live Twice. Team battles oh like 2v2 and 3v1. I forget. I was trying to think of all the game modes, and I was like, You Only Live Twice. I wonder what that's about. It's like the name of it is literally the, the, the name of the mode. <laughs> you Only Live Twice. <laughs> they had, um the, if, when we were playing Halo Infinite, uh, and uh, Oddball came up, and I was like, right, this was a GoldenEye mode, the Living we, Daylights. With yeah, the, yeah. We, uh, we had a discussion about this because you talked about uh, one of your favorite modes from Halo 2 or 3, Infection. Infection, and he described it to me, and I'm like... Is that in Time Splitters? It was in Time Splitters. That's right, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it was, so it was called now, like Virus, I think. It was called Virus, yeah. yes. And I was like, he described it to me, I'm like, that's Virus from Time Splitters. <laughs> it was better um, in Halo, too. Fuck it, I need So, Slappers only, and as we pointed out, the phrase is taken... Apparently, it's a, it's a British, it's British slang for... Uh, a whore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. Promiscuous woman is what I have right now. You mean now. a whore? Uh, yeah, a whore. <laughs> no, yeah. no. So you could you could fill the shoes of any characters you wanted, uh, not just the GoldenEye leads, but every NPC and enemy you encounter as well. I stopped there. This roster was huge, just massive, uh, with so, so much to yank from in the 007 canon. You had Mayday from A View to a Kill, Baron Samedi from Live and Let Die, the mega-sized Jaws from The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker. They had the license, like, why not? Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, I... After you beat the game, you could also unlock all of the yeah and all I, the guards and like and, and I think um, uh, Elise mentioned that she loved playing those guards because it was such a unique thing to just be able that to was, play. Yeah, that was it's weird, like man. you're not like a yeah. It was it's just unique just being able to play those cool like just generic NPC characters because yeah. it's like yeah it's like you know lots of people will play Bomb but it's like yo I love playing the Moonraker it does, agent it does let you kind of craft your own identity yes, like when, yeah. when you're playing split screen with your buddies like. it's just like and I mean they brought that back with Time Splitters Time Splitters <laughs> oh two they yeah. brought that back and then some yeah it's even like, today I don't think games have that many it's like, like they got it's like it got to the a point of like it was amazing because it got to the point of silliness where it's like if there was someone in that game, like an NPC in that game that moved or did whatever, you could play it in yep. multiplayer. It's like yeah. it, it was, which is just they like, rendered it. It's yeah, they, they rendered it. They put yeah. it in. It was like that. It was <laughs> such a cool. It really made that game charming. Now, obviously, we'll we'll have to give credence to their funniest and most unfair inclusion, the teeny tiny Mister Objob. And uh, truth was, he wasn't even that short in the Goldfinger movie where he comes from. Yeah, and it's like it's it's a it's funny because it's like yeah, I think it's like. They said the actor is like five eight or something like that. Uh, five ten. Five ten. That dude. That, that's taller than me. I'm five nine. Like, yeah, I'm five eight, dude. It's like, and so it's funny because it's like you're right. Here I am five eight. And you're right, but you're right. You think back to it, and you kind of think of him as they, they, they thought his height was was definitely a mistake of the crew confusing him for knickknack. Knickknack. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what it, it is. It was but, actually he was three eleven. And it, oh, my God. oh oh yeah, and it's it but it's funny because it's like until that was pointed out to me when I picture Odd Job and Goldfinger, I think of him as a like a squat Asian man, yeah. and it's like it's like oh he wasn't that at all, and yeah. it was like yeah it was like because I played this game before seeing the move the yeah. Goldfinger movie, so yeah. I was like, it was like yeah, that film, and uh, I think they attributed to uh, in the movie you constantly see him crouched over with mm. the hat, and so it's like maybe that like gave the impression of shortness. Mm, that's true. 
Um, and so, and uh, but by turning him into a a uh, smaller target, it made choosing the henchman a major advantage as well as a generational touchstone in the gaming ethos. Yep. Elise calls him, quote, a destroyer of friendships for the most despicable cheers. <laughs> you want to know what's even Which funnier? I love. Okay. <laughs> yeah. My favorite character was Jaws. I like to, I like to you put to yourself him. at the most disadvantage, technically. If right? you aim forward with oh, Joey, the, the headshot you, sword. No, okay. you shoot over his head. You need to aim down if you play Jaws and try and shoot Ajab. He is like <laughs> below Jaws sight line. Oh, man. That was like, <laughs> and I was like, wow. <laughs> so it's like, no wonder, no wonder I lost so many matches as Jaws as a kid. I like playing as the ladies. <laughs> the two of them? <laughs> there were more than that. Oh, well, yeah, sorry, <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry, no, I meant. But no, I know there were the main two. No, I was actually thinking of the two uh, lady NPCs that made it into the, that made it into multiplayer that were cut from. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, the well, Moonraker. Yes, or, and then also there's a civilian and a civilian scientist. and a scientist, Who yeah. I think we, we mentioned in the last episode that it used the, uh, the, the, it was the photo from their... Uh, Sally? I think Sally. It was. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Good memory. Presumably, yeah. yeah. Uh, so either way, the guys at Rare, they thought it was hilarious and kept him in. Um, if it pissed you off, you could just give your, you know, uh, who's, who's next to you, like, who's chilling a foot away, a nice smack in you know, the yep. back of that. That was part of the experience, too. And uh, true balancing wasn't their intention anyway. Yeah. Um, in an unfortunate twist, the quote all bonds feature had to get... Um, Next, due to uh, likeness yeah. rights. Uh, apparently, Connery was the holdout there, with them being instructed that it, uh, this could cost him as high as a million to amend. They understandably wow. went, nah. However, you can still access him and uh, uh, Roger Moore and uh, Timothy Dalton models through the use of a uh, Game Shark, which I did. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Connery's got the white suit on. And Sean Connery didn't sue them for co- content left in the game. Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Not that this uh, concluded their insertion of loads of other homages to the property. The Moonraker laser, the electromagnetic watch from Live and Let Die, the surrender flag was uh, uh, um, a reference to Living Daylights. Um, not to mention the control configuration names alluding to various Bond girls, from Dr. No to Thunderball to For yep. Your Eyes Only. The list goes on and on. Um uh, I think, uh, like, Octopussy is one as well. Yeah. Um, anyway, one morning when Clob uh, <laughs> popped by for a check-in, Hollis dragged him into their conference room, plunked him onto a chair in front of uh, a, a proto, like, like the, you know, golden eye cart, with uh, a set of controllers and booted up a match. He was blown away. Hollis yep. then stated his reasoning for doing this was to ask one request, a final, final delay. Six more months to master what they built. Lob was hesitant, but he couldn't. He just couldn't resist. Yeah, I, I think that's the beauty of it. Best is decision like, he ever made because the impact of this feature was going to be. Whew. I think that's really. I mean, it's like there's so much that it's like could have failed in the improv, and it's like let's face it, if it wasn't such an instant joy for all these people, mm-hmm. Ken Lob would have been like, it's nice, but it's not happening. Yeah, but it's yeah. like just the fact that so many people were so overwhelmingly in love with this feature. And it's like I think it's like it, we have no other choice. And, and 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 really, it's just like even the fact, even if he thought it was amazing, like maybe he would have said it's not happening. But it's just the fact that it's like he personally saw this selling yeah. so many copies. And it's like that faith in something that person like it, it wasn't. It didn't come from like yeah, the guys upstairs. It's like he personally thought like we need to keep this in. I love this, and it's like taking that leap of faith on behalf of the game company. Uh, you know, it's like putting himself out there, putting his neck out there. Because what yeah. happens? What happens if 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 really only he liked it? 
uh, is such a story. It's, yeah. it's, it's really incredible. Uh, although this came with a caveat. Um, Hollis was told to lock the mode behind a controller button combination so that he could then dramatically reveal it to the Nintendo of America Treehouse group in person. In person. Meanwhile, Ken would implore Howard Lincoln to grant the additional time to finish it. This was how we got all those customizable settings, to which the, the, the diversity and options seriously boosted the longevity. Yeah. There was a plethora of ways to play, and it was supremely accessible with its learning curve. The auto-aim assist encouraged casuals to square against the tryhards. The sight of seeing each individual's view made it amusing to watch when someone had to sit out around. Yeah. The couch multiplayer made the social banter and ribbing forever ubiquitous with your knight. Who gives a crap about the frames? Uh, nostalgic defenders like myself mourn the loss of this interconnected love. Online games turned winning into a priority. Hollis goes on to bemoan the transition from a party on the sofa into the solitary activity that is so prevalent today. Yes, it's more convenient, but it's far, like, it's less emotional. It's a different feeling, and it should be a parallel, not a replacement. It's why we still regularly invite the gang over for Rock Band and Smash Brothers and Jackbox. You know, modern pillars of the, you know, of, of like, keeping that alive. Exclusively indulging yourself in those gaming spaces by means of the internet, increase toxicity, and reduce good sportsmanship. Here you can even establish your own rules or etiquette. I know in my circle we had a mercy rule against uh, killing anyone who was unarmed. <laughs> so polite, you know. Um, but I digress. Apologies for the grumpy elderly rant there. Oh, yeah. The Nintendo 64 just lent itself so well to this. Uh, GoldenEye lent itself well to this. Its contemporaries in 97, like Toraka Doom 64, weren't equipped, you know. Moving into June of that summer, it was time for E3 again. This year, set in Atlanta, Georgia, there were over 500 exhibitors debuting over 1,500 titles. Booth babes were afoot. Uh, One-to-one scale replicas of R-Wings. Resident Evil 2 was there. Final Fantasy 7 was there. Fucking Metal Gear Solid was there. Half-Life, Quake 2, Future Topic, Daikatana. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Nintendo's floor was a tad sparse, though. Uh, really, their booth was more of a rare one. <laughs> Banners of mascots hung from the ceiling, but against a wall of eight kiosks next to a cardboard Brosnan cutout was a playable demo of Goldeneye. Stations that mostly went unnoticed. Yep. Goddamn Banjo was stealing the spotlight. God, if I did, so that probably contends with my favorite anecdote or like part <laughs> of that story because I just think it's so hilarious that it's like, like it wasn't even another company that overshadowed them. It was the, it was the people they, down the, the hall. People down the hall, and it's just like <laughs> I mean, it also again lends it back to itself of just like it's like you said. It's like there was no Nintendo presence. There was just a rare presence. <laughs> yeah. and it's like, and not only that, but with they overshadowed their own company, and it's <laughs> like, wow, it's really it's like Jesus God, rare was so powerful back in the nineties. Yeah, they really were. They. God, Nintendo would, would be dead without them now. <laughs> they would have gotten out of the market. But I do love that you're right. It's like Rare was like their their biggest, uh, one of their, you know, yeah. they, they were at competition with themselves. They were at competition, yeah. <laughs> um, and those that did engage with it often walked away dissatisfied. Botwood, Doak, and Hollis were bummed. The version on display was an outdated buggy one that didn't do it any justice. That and console gamers were searching for platformers. PC enthusiasts went right to the id section to get their shooter, Phil. Yeah, yeah. The accompanying film paraphernalia was baffling to attendees as well. That movie was old news. I was going to say, I really feel like the fact that the movie, like the two-year-old movie thing, I also admit if I saw a movie tie-in game two years after the movie That'd came out. That would fucking so out of this like today. I, like, the only yeah. thing I would do is probably look over it, point it out, laugh at it with you guys, and then leave. Well, especially like, if... if uh, other 
like if sequels came out after. It'd be like it'd be like if they announced a um uh here's a video game based on Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, which yeah. was like they already made one after that and they have a new one coming out. Yeah. So like why, why that one? Yeah. But you know, they and they had remorse for even going through the effort of making an appearance. Uh valuable resources were being wasted when they could be at their studio hammering down on what was left to do. Um, focus testing scores were already high. They just needed to get the word out. Thankfully, more and more people would pass through with each afternoon, though they had to get back to work and make this the sensation it was shaping up to be. Within those final months, the box art was printed, uh, manuals and strategy guides written. Ah, oh, shit, I should have had mine out in our interview. But, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. And also, just, these had, like, out dated information in them. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> they did not catch everything before yeah. it went uh, went uh, gold, that is and, for sure. And most importantly, bugs were squished. Uh, any occurrence of a glitch getting found, they'd divvy up the duties to whoever would volunteer to fix them. Doke remembered that there were a half dozen factors where the game might freeze or crash, and those had to get, like... Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so um, this was back in the day where... Launching a buggy game was like couldn't just yeah, patch that shit. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's like the, you know what else they wouldn't do bad do these days? Give them another six bucks to fi- months to fix bugs. <laughs> they would just launch it and be yeah. like, all right, you'll fix it in post. <laughs> uh, Nintendo progenitors of the official seal of quality even caught a handful themselves. One of the most infamous was a uh, perspective issue where character models at a distance would scale incorrectly and render at an inappropriate size. Uh, save files had to be assured to, to, to function properly. Oh, yeah. Uh, main uh, menus were uh, ad, uh, adjusted to subtly introduce you to their uh, the crosshair system. Uh, even if mashing A was designed to still get you to the right place, which I think is... is yeah. It, like, I never thought about that, but it totally is. Just, it, you just mash it. It, it just mash it. You yeah. go literally to the, the, the level that you're on at the difficulty you're on, and it actually, not only that, but it immediately jumps to start as well. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean... yeah. Uh, also, like... A proposed music video was thrown out? I, I wish there was more info Whoa. out on that. Oh, dude. Re- I, I tried. I like... Oh, my... Dude, if that isn't a YouTube video yet... It had to be in the earliest of stages. It's I, got... I, I yeah, wow. Okay, too. yo, ready? If we ever talk to Doke... That is... Oh, yeah. yeah that's good, good call. Okay, and <laughs> and also, it's like, you know, joking about... It's like, you gotta make sure the save game works. Tell that to the Ascent. <laughs> you remember that it's like, it's, yeah, dude, your characters didn't even save, and then yeah. eventually your character got cloned to somebody Tell else's. Tell that to Sony. <laughs> they made it so that PS4 and PS5 saves are incompatible with one another. Yeah. Wow. Really? That's yeah, why the that, games have so to convert. To... Games have to convert from a PS4 save file to a PS5 save file. Smart. I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I didn't upgrade my, my Elden Ring. Then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh no! You can. You you have to do it manually. You'd have to do it manually. The yeah. developer has to encode it in. Oh, and if they don't, oh, okay, okay, okay. if they don't, then, then you can't tra- transfer. Yeah. yeah. Good. Uh, around here was when the cheat unlocks were implanted, uh, with the exception of the all bonds and line mode, a graphical overlay that transforms the visuals into a pencil style look for debugging uh, debugging purposes. Sorry, um, but these rewards in the form of time trials gave those that had finished uh, the story a rad motivator to go back. They also added more options for multiplayer when uh, obtained. It's, like, it's brilliant. Um, button combo codes were still there as a safety measure, except they were uh, primarily for the QA department. Uh, entering them was an obtuse fucking process. You ever try it? Wait, wait. Uh, oh, yeah. The yeah, button yeah. Co- they're long and like, like... So, actually, I mean, obviously, as kids, we never had the skill to get the all-weapons cheat. That is how we 
got the, yeah, it. and so that's how as kids we. I wonder we got how those that. got out there. Like, yeah, yeah, they, they they did not broadcast them. Digging through the code, probably. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I mean if people unearthed to all the like weird mysteries of how to get characters in Mortal Kombat, then they had yeah. to pick this part. Too. I mean, was it? The only thing I can think of is when they printed the strategy guide, did they put him in there as like no. a, as a, really? I have that okay. strategy guide. Okay. They did not. Uh, in the 11th hour, the Aztec and Egyptian temples were created as a means to incentivize you to beat those higher difficulties. Uh, this and the fascinating 007 mode where you could personalize your playstyle by manually tweaking the health damage, accuracy, and reaction time of enemies in the single player. Um, wow. And uh, 20 missions in total was nuts. Like, really, they were just hoping to fill the 4x5 photo dimensions yeah. of the, the, the screen, the level screen. But uh, so post a two weeks long, quote, lot check where they play the game over and over to death, patching up last minute hacks to get by <laughs> without recompiling. But, you know, like following this, the ROM was sent to Nintendo and GoldenEye 007 was done. I think didn't didn't the book mention there was one last fix, like like literally like right by the deadline. He had to put in one last fix and it got in and that was the yes, very last I, thing. I don't have I don't remember what it was, but he said there was one last fix and it's like it needed to go in and they fixed it and then it they sent it said yeah. they sent and they were like it. hitting midnight, like you know, yeah. like the the clock. Oh, that was, was like the Halo thing, right? Yeah, yeah. The the I said that in our episode, the pistol. And it was how the, the damage on the pistol was tuned up literally three hours before it was sent to certification. Is that that's why? why oh, yeah. That's why the Halo One pistol is so strong. In an alternate world, that yeah. pistol sucks, and mm-hmm. I, I don't want to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is going to conclude Act Two of our trilogy. That was a way better stopping point. I feel. Um, be that's... sure to join us again in two weeks to hear about the epic launch and commendations, along with the strange years after, where somehow the story gets even more fucking. Like, well, uh, a tangled uh, web of, of who owned what, and then the remakes and remasters. And, but yeah. uh, a thank you to all those that made it this far. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Austin. Uh, thank uh, Shout out again to Elise Noor, of course. Uh, only one more episode in store. Um, but uh, did uh, you want to take care of those pluggy plugs? Plugs. Uh, thank you for listening. I'm still shaking the rust off. Gotta give me a second. <laughs> thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to hear more, such as the numerous episodes we brought up, including the SRB one, the <laughs> yeah, Halo one, yeah, yeah. Um, you the can, PlayStation one, the PlayStation yeah. one, you can find all, the, all those and more at hotbuttoncast.com. You can also subscribe on all the podcast services. I'm not going to name them. Uh, Hot button. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, um, if you want to be tuned in for when our episodes come out, part three and the interview with Elise, you can yes. follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Hot Button Cast. I think that's it. Yep, that's it. Cool. Good night, everyone. Good night. <laughs>